and welcome back once again to the Tetracast. This is RPG Sites' weekly podcast where we get the site staff together to talk about our favorite genre of video games. I'm your host, my name is Brian Vitali. Joining me, I have Josh Torres. Hi, hello. Adam Vitali. Hello. And James. Oh, nope, not James. Yeah, I'm so James used to saying James. Ah, Chow. And Chow's here. Chow Minwoo. How's it going? James is living his best life in Tokyo right now. He is uh, he is at the Tokyo Game Show, where he has uh, uh, dubbed it as the Tokyo James Show, which is not, you know... It's, did he, that's did he dub true. that, or did you dub that? No, so, actually, Tony did, and its staff, I believe, dubbed that, and oh, then he stole okay, it from okay. Tony. He's like, I'm there stealing that, which is good. Um, but yeah, but that's, yeah. The, uh, that's the big news of this week, is that we are recording this, like, is it like the last day of Tokyo Game Show today, or it just ended? We're on the tail end of it, but at the time of recording yeah, this. Yeah, I, th- I, I, think, I think tonight is the last day, I believe, either tonight or tomorrow night. So yeah, as we're recording this, we have gotten a lot of, you know, correspondence from James, you know, across the Pacific, over at uh, Tokyo Game Show. Um, of course, a lot of news to cover. Um, it seems like the theme of the day in terms of Tokyo Game Show is a lot of new footage and new information for previously announced games, especially focused on games releasing in 2024 and a few release dates to go alongside of that. And so we'll kind of go through these uh, in some order here because, of course, we had a little bit of a time delay in terms of when they're presented live on stage at the show versus when we get the trailers and everything uploaded by official media channels, etc., and so on. And then outside of Tokyo Game Show, um, RGG Studio, uh, Nice America, a few other things kind of got announced uh, alongside in the same sort of deluge of, of news drops. So uh, quite a few things to go into here. Um, we don't really have a big slate of games to talk about in terms of like games we've been playing section uh, ahead of the news. We have a few things here that will kind of tee off uh, at least a little bit. Um, we have a lot of people that are working on things that are coming out. So a lot of things are still kind of under embargo. Uh, one thing that is coming out in the next couple of days is something where it's been a bit of a mixed bag, a mixed feeling in terms of how much excitement I've seen for it. And it's the uh, the update to Cyberpunk 2077. So Phantom Liberty, at the time of we're recording this, is coming out in like three or four days. But we have uh, we're recording this two days past the like the relaunch, the Cyberpunk 2.0, the free update. So I have re-downloaded the game and started a new file. Um, so I have played a little bit of the 2.0 update, but of course I have not played uh, Phantom Liberty, even though I'm intending to. Um, so Phantom Liberty, I do have a code for it, and I do have access to it. So I could have played it. However, like I, I haven't booted up Cyberpunk in like since it launched, since I originally beat it. So when I first booted up, I basically got like all these splash screens about all these updates and things. And it's like, yeah. by the way, we reset all your perks because uh, what you had wasn't valid anymore. By the way, all your stats are reset to zero. Re, 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 redo your attributes. And I was just kind of like, uh, I don't know what I'm doing. Let me just start fresh because, you know, going back to an RPG, even one that hasn't changed so much can be difficult after time away so i'm just like all and right and it's not like and it's not like you were you just missed or you're just jumping in for the 2.0 update you missed like the 1.1 update the 1.2 update you missed all the updates since launch to now that's a lot yeah so uh, it was actually kind of fun i've been chatting with josh uh josh tolentino and alex like uh this thing i don't remember it is this new new or old new sort of thing yeah like like is, it, is, is this memory, 2.0 is, new? Is my, is my memory failing me? Did I just forget this, or is this actually new? 
Yeah. Um, so I don't want to spend too much time on Cyberpunk because I don't want to spend like 45 minutes talking about the game now and then next week getting into Phantom Liberty and spending like another big chunk of time. So I'll probably just kind of tease it, tee it off here and then kind of like rain check for when I do get to Phantom Liberty. But I do want to talk about the 2.0 update uh, in general. Um, first of all, the uh, the main thing that is different is the progression and character build in general like the, the actual moment-to-moment -moment gameplay the actual like layout of the city of course um the, the way the game starts out none of that has really changed you know you know, i always want to be careful using words like oh it's completely overhauled they fixed it well it, ha it still has the same look and feel so if that was something that was you you played the game and didn't like that or you didn't play the game because it wasn't you know it wasn't conducive to your tastes I'm not going to tell you, oh, you got to try it now. It's it's completely different. It's not completely different. Right. It's just it's just shifted. The main thing, though, that they did change is um, you still have the attributes that you put points into uh, body, cool, technical. Um, they kind of generally go along the tabletop game, like class systems of like the solo, the net runner. Um, I'm forgetting some of the other ones because I haven't played the tabletop game. But now what they also do is you have a skill system. And I know when I say like perks, talent, skills, every game uses those interchangeably. So I have to tee it up a little bit. They have a skill system, which is passive. You don't put points into it. You get EXP into it as you perform things. For instance, if you go barreling through doors and punching people in the face, you will build up your body skill. If you start hacking into laptops and you know taking over cameras, you will build up your, your Netrunner skill. If you just be stealthy and you start, um, you know, doing headshots and things like that, that will improve your, I forget what they call it, um, maybe just Netrunner skill. One that I've been using is I've, I've started using a Katana, which they, it's the Shinobi skill. I'm like, oh, okay, that's a bit specific, but I'll go with that. So it is very much um, like exercised uh, progression in terms of- right. You, you get don't tell as you exercise it. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if there's a good name for that. It's not I'm putting points into this because I want to be better at this. I'm gonna say I want to I'm going to do this thing because I want to be better at it. Um so right. I'm going to improve my Netrunner skill by hacking things and by doing things. And the nice thing is is that these are almost always like as you improve your skill and they tear up like from one to fifty. Um, like for instance, if you tear up into like level five of your of the solo skill. They call it solo. It basically means like um, it's it would be like the strength based character. Effectively, you get additional carry capacity because this game does have a weight limit. And it's like, oh, that's that's handy to have no matter what build you are. So even if you're trying to build like a techie hacky te character, you should probably try to put a few points into body or not into body into the solo skill progression so that you can um, get your carry capacity up. And the Shinobi, the first one is like increased to your base movement speed. So it does encourage trying to change up your play style a little bit in that way and and another thing that they kind of do to leverage because you might hear that and be like well that sounds nice but that's not really an overhaul and i kind of agree it's not really an overhaul but i do think it's it has there's a lot more um immediate feedback to it but they also can play with it in terms of exploration rewarding that because now as you defeat enemies in like the police scanners or the gigs or whatever, they might have EXP shards where this character that you defeated was a net runner and they are carrying a net runner EXP shard that you can grab and it boosts that stat up a little bit. So it kind of encourages you to like seek out all those op optional objectives because you might not be putting a lot of points into net runner, but then if you get a free boost because you took on a quest where you're, um, you know, encountering one, then you might get some bonuses that way as well.
trying to think what else I want to tee up here before uh, rain checking for next week. Um, I've been hearing a lot of positive things from like my friends who have been checking it out. Like uh, they, they seem to really like the new progression overhauls. Um, mm. And there's all, all sorts of like, um, like one of them is running around like a maniac with a katana uh, with like <laughs> mecha, like, like super duper legs. Others are, are, t- are checking out the overhauls, like the hacking um, stuff. Uh, so it seems like, uh, at least from my end of things, from what I hear, um, people who are down on it seem to be very positive now on like the uh, the new way you progress uh, and just like the, the like the the gameplay variety and changes to it. I, I do plan on finally starting Cyberpunk. Um, I do have the game and the DLC. Um, just I just need to find a time to do it because I'm I'm working on other stuff. Um, but yeah, it seems to be just like a, a really good like hey, this is. You know, people of course probably wish this is the game that they got on release, but you know they got there, um, you know, eventually. And it seems like you know every, every, everyone and everything that we've been seeing from like Phantom Liberty reviews, uh, you know, like from Alex who gave it a perfect score on our site, and then from other outlets who have been swearing it pretty fucking high. It seems like there's a, there's a lot to be you know excited for in the upcoming DLC as well. But then there is kind of a little bit of that elephant in the room. It's like, well, most outlets called the base game pretty high. Uh, <laughs> look how that turned out. So I'll be honest when I look at because so when the original Cyberpunk came out, Alex and I were the two people that had code. I focused on guys. He did the review and like he scored it much higher than I would have. But I'm not saying that's wrong. You know, that's what an opinion is. That's what a review is. Um, but when he gives it a 10 for the Phantom Liberty, I'm kind of like, mm, OK, like, let's, I'll see what I think. Uh, Mm-hmm. One thing I do remember I want to talk about is, first of all, the thing you mentioned, uh, yeah, there's just like obviously new types of weapons, new gear. And I I don't really like since I haven't done the Phantom Liberty property proper part yet, like it used to be that your that your different types of leg implants, you could have the like the double jump or the charge jump. Now they have different ones where like this one doesn't change your jump, but it makes you sprint faster. So I'm guessing when you're talking about that with a katana, like, you, like there's yeah, different options. Uh, uh, yeah, there's like, there's been, like a lot of remarks like how they like how the dash, uh, like the mm-hmm. momentum of a dash is carried over to a jump. So like uh, mm-hmm. a lot of them, uh, like one of my friends really likes uh, going around dashing and double jumping because the momentum that you get from a dash is carried over to the jump. So you just have a really like a satisfying like double jump that can go farther because of that dash, for example. Yeah. Um, and one thing I also um, forgot to mention is that they do now have a system for tearing up cyberware. So you might get a level two. Like, the way all gear works in the game is that it's tier one through tier five. There also is like half tiers, like tier one plus, tier two plus, tier three plus. Um, which I forget if that was in the base game or not again, or maybe it was updated like in 1.3 or so. Um, so if you find a piece of cyberware or whatever that you really like, uh, what it does, like you, it is like a, a charge jump or whatever, but it's only a tier two. Um, you can spend crafting resources to upgrade it to higher tiers. You don't have to wait. Oh, I hope, a, I hope a higher tier one drops. No, you can just spend resources that you can earn in other methods and other manners to update it. I, I believe, I hope I get this right, that, uh, in the base game, that was only true for iconic weapons, which are the unique ones. But now it's mm-hmm. like you can do it on cyberware and other things as well. More generally, you have the ability to spend resources on tearing things up, which is kind of nice because you might just find a piece of gear or a piece of tech that you really like. And um, you don't want it to become like obsolete as you level up. 
because um, because the, the I believe how it works is the loot that you get is kind of relatively tiered to your level early on in the game you're going to get tier one and tier two um, then eventually as you get to like level 10 or 20 you'll start getting tier three drops and depending on which quest you do in which order you might get something that's a, a low tier if you compared to if you had waited to do that quest when you were max level which is kind of one of those things where uh, I believe it was Skyrim that got a lot of kind of flack for like the um, we everything just scales to your level uh, in terms of enemy abilities and not only that, but the items you get. So it kind of feels like it doesn't matter what order you do things. There's there's no, there's that no um, risk reward of going to a high level area and doing something really well and being really skilled and getting a really high level drop. Um, but they can kind of make up for that by saying like, okay, you got something at a low level, you can tear it up and still make use of it. It doesn't ever become obsolete totally. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will say the game is running better for me now. I do have a different computer, but like a lot of the options before, like with the ray tracing, absolutely, like they just completely like tanked my frame rate and seemed broken. Uh, it seems like it's running better now. Um, what else? Oh, oh there is. Do you know how big like the this the whole thing is? Like the Cyberpunk plus the Phantom Liberty. Like you know, uh, I don't remember. I think it was a hundred plus. Because I downloaded, I didn't have it installed anymore, so I downloaded it all again, and I'm pretty sure it was 100 plus, which I'm okay. not surprised. Yeah, um, I, I, I do. I think, I think, yeah, I think for for people, just uh, just uh, just a heads up, like I think it's like around 150 gigs. I uh, want to say, so just prepare for that. Um, yeah, massive. yeah. I heard there's like a lot of negative backlash for the console version. So you're playing well, this on I'm, PC, right? Yeah, I, I'm playing it on PC. I have no idea, like. Um, how console performance like phantom liberty i believe it's ps5 only ps5 xbox not... series yeah it's only it's only it's not it's not for the previous gen not for ps4 or xbox one right so previous well, gen was complete shit show from what i yeah. heard yeah so yeah but it makes sense to put that stuff stuff um but yeah i don't know anything about i didn't look into the console performance on i'll um update 2.0 plus phantom liberty how that performs right uh, I will say, though, that uh, first of all, there has been some backlash for Phantom Liberty, some that is genuine and some that's just a little bit like people being, I think, stubborn. And maybe that, maybe that's too accusatory. But because they overhauled like the perks and skills, some old builds can't work exactly as they were fashioned before. So if you were married to like a very, very specific like perk layout or build layout, it might not be as effective as it was anymore. And that's that's kind of par for the course for any game that has any sort of balance patch or update or something like that. Um, but of course, there might be like specific details where like a certain perk didn't get translated to the new system at all. So now it's completely missing. Uh, I haven't dug in enough to see if there's any specific examples of that. Um, there are still bugs, which is kind of like unfortunate with with like, oh, you know, everything's fixed now. Um, not quite. Um, one bug that I that I'm actually kind of finding disappointing in terms of like trying to make sure like our guides are up to date is that one neat thing about this game is that as you do um, and this is kind of like the, the collector in me or whatever is as you do side objectives or quests or whatever you get these uh unique weapons iconic weapons and a those can just be like really good for your you know kit for your for your character but even if you're not planning to use it um you have like a stash in your apartment where you can put up the weapons uh like and display them on the wall and that's very typical for like games where you, you can have like a mannequin and display all the all the loot that you've gotten throughout the game or whatever uh and then, like, that's been updated, of course. People notice all over the Reddit that, you know, there's new there's new slots on the wall to, to stick up new gear from the from the expansion or, or even new gear that they slotted into the base game. Um, but it's broken, apparently. People are, like, getting new gear and trying to put them up on the wall, and it just doesn't work. Oh, and you might okay. say, like, well, that's cosmetic. Like, who cares? But it's also just kind of like... Uh, 
just disappointing that one of the first things that people that like are loading up their old saves are excited to do doesn't work right. So yeah. it's still cyberpunk at the end of the day. So uh, that's kind <laughs> of how it goes. I, I uh, mean, the, 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 that's just the unfortunate reality of like, I think CD Projekt Red just has a history of this stuff, right? Like it, it, nothing is really, they don't really ever have like a smooth launch. <laughs> Even for like Witcher 3 DLC, they, they weren't the smoothest launches. Yeah. So, so well, but, uh, hopefully, hopefully, you know, they once again, get it fixed. <laughs> what else can you say? <laughs> Yeah, like yeah, it's it's it is kind of silly. Like two within one or two days of Cyberpunk 2.0 launching, the Reddit's like, yeah, hopefully they hotfix that. And like, yeah, hopefully yeah, they do. Yeah. I I will say though, um, even though I don't agree with Alex to like the extent that he loves these games, I do see why someone could. So there's a slight mm -hmm. difference there. And one thing that he described to me, um, that I do agree with from the it was true at the base game, and I do kind of see it now that I have it in the front of my mind is cyberpunk is probably one of like the best games where you sit down and talk to people and i know mm. that sounds very silly but a lot of times like trying to do like cinematics or cutscenes or even like just straight gameplay with a cinematic flair in a first person game it feels janky or awkward or um not natural because people have like the stare of death or the bioware face the, but the bioware it, face yeah <laughs> yeah but in cyberpunk like people will talk while looking over the shoulder while gesturing while spitting on the ground there is still a little bit like it's a first person game they will look at you as they're speaking to you most of the time but but it's there's like a lot of unique animations in terms of like characters leaning up against walls as they speak or they'll be shuffling stuff on a desk as they talk or you'll look over at them because they're you're riding in the car and chatting um and you can go into first person view and like actually have like the actual interior of the uh of the vehicle while the person's sitting next to you chatting with their arm out the window um, i will say it, it feels terrible to drive a car in first person view because like your field of view is so narrow and i can't see out the windshield but there's like so much detail and clutter like on the dashboard in terms of just like flavor that i do kind of appreciate like the work that went into it it's like i appreciate this but this is impossible to drive so i'm going to go back into third person uh if you don't remember cyberpunk is first person entirely except when you're driving a car um which is how i prefer it have you tried like or see like the new like the car combat stuff the updates that they did and also just the updates with like the police system have you ever um have you tried messing with that yet the car combat a little bit uh because you like even right away you can um like fire weapon while riding in the car like in third person mode etc uh, but there's a lot of new perks that are tied to car combat, mm. which I haven't really delved into yet because I'm putting my earliest perk points into like baseline stuff that I know I want, like yeah. your, your your RAM recharges faster or your your headshots when when in stealth do more damage. But like once I have perks that I'm not sure like how they fit my like actual character build, I might go into and say like, oh, this perk uh, gives me this new feature for a car combat that I would like. Uh, one thing they also changed how cars are acquired now most cars are acquired just from shopping on a website now which seems like it's kind of bland but before and maybe i'm not far enough in my replay to, to see this yet i remember as soon as you'd go into a new region of the city a new fixer would contact you and if your street cred was high enough they would immediately just like bombard your phone and email with like hey i've got a new car for you hey i've got a new car for you hey i've got a new car for you so it was kind of like this weird like they wanted to make it immersive but it's not quite when they call you three times back to back with three different cars uh so now at least from the outset of the game in like act one which is pretty long if you do all the side stuff you can just kind of go to your your terminal and, and order them online uh at like a, at like a computer 
Um, and there's still some that I know that later you unlock with like quests and things. So may maybe uh, I'll have to follow up on that to see exactly how it's changed. I don't think it's been too overhauled. I think it's just been been slightly tweaked. Um, but I don't spend a lot. Of, there's a lot of times, unless I'm going across the whole city, I'll just sprint and run rather than getting into right, the car. Right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's, oh, yeah, as, really... as for the police system, I'm too much of a of a goody two shoes. Like I don't I don't do oh. crime. <laughs> so I see them walking around. They're like they're clearly flagged. I think this is new. Before one of the big like meme uh like you, social media shares is that when you would deal crimes, like the cops would just immediately like apparate in front of you or behind you. Like they would just appear out of thin air, and it felt very phony. And of course, there's always going to be a little bit of that. But it's just how do you make it immersive? How do you disguise it? And they did not disguise right. it very well because people, cops would literally just like spawn on a balcony right next to you if they had, even if they had no way up. But now, um, as you're walking around the town, like cops, like they'll be just there out. They're just they're just bumming about, and they have like a little marker above them saying, "This is a cop. Don't do crimes in front of them." So it's actually like, oh, so now if a bunch of cops appear after I, you know, if I kill someone in cold blood it kind of is a little bit more viable like oh okay they're around they'll, they'll, they'll show up but okay maybe, maybe i'll make a save and before next week i'll just go on a murder spree and see see how it all works and i do know it's something in the patch notes that they've addressed but i just haven't experienced for, for myself quite yet but yeah that's cyberpunk 2.0 uh not not a complete overhaul as it might have been uh like purported to be but it is very very cleaned up and i i do think it is in a, a better state now than it was at launch not just in terms of performance and bugs of course that's obvious but in terms of just feeling a little bit more rewarding and less aimless and less like a like a dead city um yeah and, and i th i believe there's also just like just like other changes to like the game like outside like the edges of just like progression like for example like i i believe like they just reward you a lot more money now yeah yeah i have i i remember early on um i actually made a guide three years ago about how to make money because it was very stingy um but now like you just do a bunch of side quests with like the either do the police scanner or the gig uh, missions and they just flood you with money um almost to the point where i almost feel like money is no object anymore which is almost it's not as bad but i kind of want the money to be a gameplay mechanic in terms of like mm. you can't just buy the best of everything every time you go to a shop <laughs> So I'm. A oh, did, they, bit... did they not? Did they not um, adjust like shop prices uh, to count for that? Uh I. I don't think so. Um, okay. I do know. Okay. Like I was looking at some old guides, and I think like uh, one of the guides said in order to like get the double jump or the charge jump, it cost um, twenty five thousand dollars. And then, like, I was looking at the shop, and it cost me like ten thousand dollars. So, like, oh, maybe they did make these. Like, not only are they giving you more money. But the prices they seem like cheaper. they've been cheaper. So huh. I hope they like it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, you don't want it to be frustrating, but you also don't want it to just be like a non-mechanic. Yeah, no yeah you just like figures power gaming now, pretty much. Yeah, and you and you, you don't even have to engage with the system anymore because you're just like, oh, I, I have enough money for everything, and I never have to worry about it. Um, but yeah, hmm. yeah so okay. Cyberpunk 2.0. That's my initial thoughts, and I'll hopefully report back next week with specific thoughts on the Phantom Liberty stuff once I get there. The next thing we have on the game list here before we go into the Tokyo Game Show and related news is uh, Adam has played through a game in preparation for an upcoming RPG release that when he told me he was playing this, I was like, wait, why? Uh, so, Adam, well, what did you play this week? So I'm the reviews editor at RPG site, so I assign what games are being covered and who is reviewing them and whatnot. And so November 
is a pretty full month of RPGs. You got yep. Star Ocean, you got Super Mario RPG, and one game that's coming out in the month that I feel like not a lot of people are super excited for, but it's one that I am curious about, is one from, uh, I don't even know how you pronounce the studio's name exactly, Don't Nod? Is it Don't Nod? They're yeah, French. I've always said Don't Nod, but didn't, yeah. didn't they change their, they changed like, their they logo? S- it used to be all like sort of one word, but now it's literally two separate words, Don't Nod. So Don't Nod is the developer behind Life is Strange and Life is Strange 2. And this November, they have an RPG coming out called Banisher's Ghosts of New Eden. Now, the premise to this game, as I recall it, is that you have these ghost hunters who are basically out there hunting ghosts and other creatures of, you know, magic, supernatural creatures of sorts. But the twist to the premise, if you will, is that you're, you pay, play as a duo of characters, one who is alive and one who is a ghost themselves. And they are, they're, a, uh, they're a couple, they're a pair. And so um, I really don't know much beyond the game except that. But I'm curious enough to give this game a shot. And like, you know, what? I'll see if this game is any good. I'll review it. You know, hopefully it's good. Maybe it's not. I'm curious. I want to see. Now, this is very likely the same team behind another RPG that came out like four or five years ago called Vampire. Now, Vampire, it's spelled... V A M P Y R. I think it's like was, vampire is how they. Uh, I don't announced it. It's never. It's never said in the game. It's not like. It's not like a, a diegetic thing in the game. So yeah, I, yeah. I don't know. Um, I mean, obviously vampires are in the game, but not that spelled way. It doesn't mean anything. Um, so I don't know how it's they just fancy said it. Yeah, whatever. Now, um, this game came out like four or five years ago. It was basically don't nods foray into RPGs. Which, if you read their like financial results, this is actually something they've been trying to like get more and more into recently. Uh, Vampire sold two million copies, so, you know, no slouch. And m- me being interested in playing Banishers, while it's not connected at all in terms of story or sequel or anything like that, it's very likely a similar team. So I'm like, you know what? Let me play Vampire first and see what that's like, and you know, see how this new game Banishers compares. Now, this game is an older game. I feel like it's not a super flashy game, so I won't spend too much time on this. But I was curious about it. Now, uh, we reviewed this on the site back when it launched. Kyle did. He gave it a six. Um, now, this game, it has it's, it's very spotty. There are some components to it that are kind of unique and interesting, and some that are just downright terrible. Now, I'll start with the good. Vampire, the premise... Uh, can, I, that... can I start with the terrible? I want to start with one thing. Oh, this is like the this I, is the most terrible box. I know where you're going. I know where uh, you're going with yes. Yeah. Go so I, I I feel like this game could have sold three million if you told me that it sold <laughs> two. If it just had a better box art, and maybe that's yes. superficial of me. The but box like... art, it, no. I even put this out on my own Twitter. It is like in the running for the worst modern box art. I know you get some bad ones back in the retro days, but like in like the our, last our good 10 years phalanx or whatever <laughs> yeah it is a lot of the old head background <laughs> yeah it, it vampire like you you're set you have you're in victorian era london technically just past victoria era london with vampires and this is the best you can do just okay. like some dude like wiping blood off of his mouth it's just like if, if it were up to you what would you change the box art to okay i would like show a little bit more of the city you know like as the backdrop 
you know, mm. like probably at twilight, you know, nighttime London has to be night because they're vampires mm. and have maybe the character model there. And he wears like a doctor's coat because he's a doctor. Um, and I don't know, have it have him in some pose or something that's a little bit more artistic than just him, like with his fist wiping blood off of his mouth. I don't know. What's sort of funny is that the box art, if you know nothing about this character, he looks like a bully or a thug when he's a nerd. He's a doctor. <laughs> like, like can't nerds be bullies well, too? Not, I, yeah. <laughs> can't a nerd wipe the blood off his face? <laughs> <laughs> now, now you just being, I, I get like, I get outrageous. what you mean though. Like he, he almost oh, okay. he's, he's be... posing. He looks like he looks like he's not meant to be like he's not really an imposing person. He's kind of he's like a, so the premise of the game is that you're a surgeon that you went out you went you left London I forget I think you went to France to basically study medicine and became a surgeon and he's on his way back and he mysteriously begin to turn into a vampire at the beginning of the game you don't know exactly what happened and he's kind of like freaking out like oh my god what's going on i don't know you know what is this is this my life sort of thing and he's like the opposite of like a bruiser that that box art seems to imply so yeah the box art is awful uh anyways the good um so this studio they are behind the life is strange series um they this game has a lot of dialogue interactions with NPCs. And there's a whole mechanic to this where every NPC in London, there's maybe, I don't know, 40 uh, NPCs in the game. They're marked in your chart. And um, let me try to say this as succinctly as possible. Each NPC has four to six like hidden attributes to them. And these are just, they can be anything like secrets, like a relationship with another character, their profession, their likes, their dislikes or whatever. And you learn about each attribute for the characters by talking to them. They might reveal an attribute on their own, or they might reveal an attribute of, a, of another character. Sometimes you'll find stuff in the world that you pick up that might reveal something about a character. Or sometimes in the little mini quests that you do for the, for the NPCs might reveal something about characters. Now, what this actually does, like what's the point of learning more about characters, is that the more you learn about a character, the more EXP they are worth when you bite them. So I, I like that. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's actually, it's actually like fun. genuinely, yeah, it's actually like a genuinely interesting progression system in that you don't want to just bite all the NPCs you meet right away because if you don't know anything about them for whatever reason, you know, I don't know the logic behind this, you get less EXP. So there's kind of this goal when you're playing the game. Oh, okay. I want to talk to all the NPCs. I want to you know, pick up items in the world, little notes and whatnot that might explain more about them and l learn about the histories behind characters and things like that. And then once you learn everything that need, there is to know about a character and you've done their little quests or whatnot, bite them for EXP. It's just now, like vampires in real life, okay? If someone's nosy and asking about your life story, <laughs> be wary. <laughs> now, like, you do get some EXP from fighting, but it's not much at all and it actually in a way kind of reminds me of another vampire rpg vampire the masquerade in that uh bloodlines in that you get more exp through dialogue and questing in a way than you do by fighting and in so that like, game, i don't think you get sense, any by fighting right yeah it, but it's similar you do get a little by fighting but it's not much at all i think i think 
by fighting enemies or whatnot, you get you might get like ten or fifteen exp for fight. Whereas biting a character, if they're fully like unlocked in terms of their attributes, you can get like two thousand. So um, it can be worth it. Now the thing is, is there is an achievement to go through the game without biting anyone, and of course I did that, and you're basically under leveled the whole time. But that's only a challenge run. Um, so really, when you're playing this game like naturally, you that's kind of the goal is to learn more about characters, um, fulfill their quests, kind of unlock their attributes. And then you make the sort of moral decision whether or not to take their EXP or not. Besides, like, an achievement, which is, you know, whatever, there's no reason not to. It's not like, it might change the ending slightly, but it's just, that's basically a part of the game. And I think that's genuinely kind of interesting and different, and, you know, you don't really see that. So that's probably the highlight of the game, is this sort of NPC interaction, the little quests that they do. Um, sometimes these quests are you know, going to a certain area of town and fighting a couple of enemies, or sometimes they're literally just dialogue-based quests, talking to certain characters in certain orders or learning more about them, finding an item or whatnot. Um, that's, that's the best part about the game. Probably the mediocre, most mediocre part of the game is the combat, which I, I don't know if this is cynical of me, but it's not super surprising that a studio that previously made Life is Strange, when they introduce combat to the game, it's not great. You know, this is maybe their first go at sort of RPG action, RPG combat system. Is it, is, is it just like really stiff or? Yeah, it's, 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 I don't know how you explain it. It's just very, it's like a Souls-like game, only uh, very uh, <laughs> mid junky. Now, Souls-like, I know my people might have groaned at that. There is this sort of weird bonfire-like mechanic where whenever you sleep in your bed, all the enemies around the world respawn. And so just like real life. Yep. Yeah, there's that sort of there's that sort of refresh where it's like you can go and heal now at your bed, but it's gonna respawn all the enemies. Um sort of thing. There's no like loot your body or whatnot. If you die, you just you just respawn somewhere else. Um anyways, the worst part about the game by far, like easily, are the boss fights. The boss fights are terrible. It commits some of the uh most cardinal like boss fight design sins, in my opinion. One mm just having a boss basically be a normal enemy with more health. It's just kind of like, it's not interesting. It's oh, like, yeah. oh, it's the, it's a flamethrower dude. They're in the game, but now it's just a bigger one. He's a flamethrower dude with a helmet. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And almost every single boss in the game does the, I'm going to summon my underlings to annoy you phase. Oh. And I hate that. It's, it feels like they don't know how to design a boss. So they're like, well, let's just take the sort of the combat system we already have in place. And like, just here's four enemies that are now bothering you in our normal combat. You know, like you just got to take care of them while the boss is pestering you from afar or whatever. That's the thing you're looking out for in banishers, then. To yes, see what the yes. bosses are like. Yeah. Um, and so there's just almost every single boss is like that. It's just bad. This, and then I was actually reading Kyle's review of this. He kind of said the same thing. The bosses are bad. The combat is not great. Dialogue is the best part. There's, I know there's also some consternation about like the moral dilemma between do you want to bite people or not is a little bit loose. You know, I think it's fine. It's whatever. It's not like super thought provoking or what have you. It's just, you know, you're, the game does sort of track how many people you've bitten or not. So if you want to be a vampire virgin, you can not bite anyone. And I did that. 
but you, you only get it because of the game under if, if there wasn't an achievement, you do get a different end. You do get a different ending, so there is an in-game thing for it too. Oh, okay, I actually now, like in terms that. Of story, some, like, in terms of story, in terms of story, the story itself is also a little bit awkward. It's not awful, but long story short, there's a plague going around in London, kind of at the same time that this sort of like vampire plague is going around. And you're basically wondering, like, how are these connected? So it's sort of a mystery between these two things. And you're a doctor, so it's sort of like in your wheelhouse, your character. And, and you're then your character. Yeah, exactly. But then it, I feel like the game, it backloads a lot of the reveals and actual narrative. Some of it, actually quite a lot of it, even after the final boss. You beat the final boss, and there's like an epilogue chapter that basically... Not completely, but it's sort of like, all right, here's the explanation for everything, you know, and it just kind of feels like you maybe could have spread this out over the course of the game more. Could you spend, you know, 80% of the game kind of in this mystery of like what's going on or like false leads or what have you. And then at the end, it's like, here's the answer. Here's what's going on. And I kind of feel like the pacing is a little bit weird. The game isn't too long, which is actually one reason why I played it. It's only about I, I did everything you possibly could in about 25 hours. So that's pretty short for an RPG. And like I said, some good points, some bad points. I would not say it's a great game. You know, if you're just curious like me and don't mind playing a game that's iffy, go for it. I think it's got some, you know, there's some there's some value there. But definitely know the sorts of things I, I want to look forward to in Banishers. I kind of feel like Banishers, in a way, might be more traditional, but it's hard to say. Like, I, I haven't really dived deep into the pre-release stuff, like the mechanics or whatnot, because if I'm going to play it, I'll see it. Mm -hmm. um, I highly doubt it's going to have a similar, you know, talk to NPCs sort of, you know, slant to it. But that's fine. So I'm but curious about it. But it might have it. similar boss fights. Yeah. I, <laughs> I, was, I think I mentioned this in a previous podcast when they had, like, a gameplay trailer for it. Uh, some of the character models and animations feel like they're from last gen or something, which I get it. It's a lower budget game from a smaller studio. You can't expect it to look like AAA, but it does kind of, it does, it's a little bit distracting. Like, oh, okay, their their face, or their, the faces of the characters are kind of stone. Um, oh, one thing I forgot to mention, I feel like Vampire actually had some really good voice performances. I'm not exactly sure who did the localization or the, the it's a French studio, English dubbing but it was pretty good there were some characters that i thought were really well done so i'll see how banishers uh stacks up to that and, i feel like when does that launch mostly like late november mid-november i think it's just like right around star ocean i feel like for our audience most more people are going to be way more interested in star ocean or or super mario rpg or whatever else is releasing that month but i'm like you know what i'll take the i'll take a look at this euro jank rpg I will take it. I will see. I'm well, genuinely we, curious. We have to throw curveballs. Yeah, Eurojank. Oh, hold, hold on, hold on. When we say Eurojank, we mean it affectionately. <laughs> I'm just saying that. Look, Adam is more prepared than us when they uh, uh, craft a don't nod RPG cinematic universe and have banishers and vampire crossover and yeah. whatever else you know for their end game or whatever Infinity War title. Yeah. Very get, get excited. Yeah, I think that's it. I don't think I think I touched on pretty much the main components of it. Well, thank you, Adam, for going through Vampire with us. Like I said, every once in a while we get to throw a curveball in what we talk about. And speaking of curveballs, uh, we are going to once again have Chow take the podium. And you're gonna take us, us back uh, thirty years. 
Is okay, it, this game is thirty years. Hey, wait, wait. Oh, okay, yeah. this game is twenty three years old. Okay, this is this is Korean jank. This is Arcturus, <laughs> the Curse and Lost Divinity. All right, Chow, uh, teach us about Arcturus, the Curse and Lost Divinity. Well, okay. what, what did this release on, Chow? Uh PC only. Okay. Uh, this is made by Gravity. Do you know Gravity? Uh, that's a game. Is that is that um, it's a fundamental related? force? Is that related <laughs> to Ragnarok Online at all? Yes, it okay, is. Okay, it yes, is the I same studio that made Ragnarok Online. Gra- uh, this is their first game that they made. It was like a big budget RPG. It is known as the Xeno Gears of of Korea. This game is the Xeno Gears of Korea. Holy shit! It, right. it is. I, I do feel that yeah, kind of. Is that, is that the podcast title? The Xeno <laughs> <Gears of> Korea. <laughs> yeah, we have we have some really good podcast title candidates already. <laughs> so but, we don't know. But yeah, this game is also localized in Japanese by Falcom, and Kondo even stated that he took a lot of inspiration from this game to to uh, Trails in the Sky. So, uh, how do I even say is that? Why you game? played it? Uh, I that's actually the first guide I ever wrote. Oh, okay. The reason why I'm playing it is because I'm trying to get some inspiration and ideas again by looking at the first guide I wrote. Because my first guide was very terrible, but I try to beat this game because the game's very interesting. Oh, that's like your training arc almost. It's like it's like to find the path forward, you need to go back to your roots. Sort of. Okay. All that's right. why I, I went that. back playing it. Uh, it is a very difficult game in my opinion, but it is. So what's it like? I, I've never. I've ne- okay, I've so this never game plays like Grandia. It plays like Grandia. Okay. The first one. Yes, the battle system is just like Grandia, but uh, the magic system is very different, right? I would... But uh, like the battle system is like, there's some characters that can use magic, but the rest of the characters are just physical characters. I think there's only two characters that can use magic, right? And uh, like the skill system has like three, uh, was it three different like MP gauges? If you get what I'm saying, like if you're the magic user, they have fire, uh, wind, and something else. I'm trying so they to have like, so they have different MP gauges per for the to represent the elements. Yeah, like and to use the abilities, it consumes a certain amount, and all all the characters has barrier points. Um, okay. so basically your HP is they had to break your barrier in order to damage your HP, right? That's how all the characters work in this game, right? Okay. And bosses also follow the same mechanics. So some bosses, like, they have a huge HP, like, barrier, but their HP is very small. And there's this one character that you can use. He can get, he has a special ability where he does this backflip and he just hits the guy's HP directly without going through the barrier, if you get what I'm saying. Fucked up. But, uh, yeah, that. Uh, that sounds just like that character in life. <laughs> but uh, yeah, this game just plays like Grandia. And I think what makes this game really hard for me is like it's very easy to get lost in this game. Because, okay. uh, you know, like Grandia, it's also kind of easy to get lost because of how the graphics are, right? Okay. Just, just in case some people aren't as old as us and don't know what Grandia plays like. <laughs> just in uh, case. <laughs> so it's like it's turn-based, but the characters are moving around on like a battlefield, like in real positions. And yes. You basically, when you move a character, a timeline like is sort of is basically displayed, showing when the next character's turn to act is something like that. Yep, exactly. Okay, but the reason why I say like exploration is just like Grandia, but what makes this game really hard to explore is like okay, when you're navigating through the map, and if the graphics are not very that good back in those days, it's very easy to think, oh, this place looks just like that place, right? 
it's, it's like it's like on the it's like one of the uh quality of life features they uh they added in the, in the recent saga re-release where like there's like pointers on like the the, the places you can interact with the background like hey you can exit out through here in the background and then they'll have a pointer there that like notify the player because sometimes it kind of bled into the background and like it wouldn't register that you could go there yeah i would say so but like I think what makes it very difficult is that you know when you open a treasure chest in most video games, right? It, the treasure chest is left open, right? So you'd be like, oh yeah, I, I opened that treasure chest, so I know I've been there before, right? But in this game, the treasure chest closes when you open it, so you don't know if you open it or not. You know what I'm saying? Oh, okay. Unless you up, follow Joe's guide. And and, the, uh, and uh, yeah, I imagine there's like no way to actually like there's no tracker for that or anything. No, no too. tracker. It's very easy to get lost in this game. Wow. I think the only useful thing is the compass in this game, which tells you where your destination is, or maybe if you want to look for the end, and that compass will kind of point you to that direction. But other than that, it's very confusing to find out where you are in this game. So what's what kind of like the setup for this game? Like, like uh, who, what are you dealing with? Okay, so this, this game has... Uh, you play as two different characters to start off, okay? So uh, one side you play as this character called Sis, and the other character is Eluard. So I will start with Sis first. Basically, he's a shopkeeper that is from the countryside, okay? Uh, he looks like a girl. This is very important because he seems to get bullied a little lot because he looks very feminine. He is even be more beautiful than, <laughs> than a local beauty. That's kind of like his, his thing, right? But anyways, mm. he, he's a very timid boy. He's trying to, like, be nice, you know, and... His dad's a fucking alcoholic. He used to be like a grand hero at one time, but after his wife died, uh, he basically became an alcoholic and just kind of like abuses his son all, all day, right? And he, I, I think one day is like the uh, his childhood friend comes in and said that, hey, let's go to the city side. And uh, childhood friend is Maria. And she's basically telling telling him, it's like, hey, you know, this, this place sucks and your dad's a drunk, so why, why the hell would you stay here? Right, and eventually she was, and and eventually she was like, uh, "What was it?" Basically, the church came in and said they wanted to buy the land that the main character shops owns or something like that. And the reason why he doesn't want to move because their mom's grave is there, and so and the dad's like, "Yeah, you can take the land. I don't give a fuck. You know, it's like, it's like you can take the money." It's like, and so the main character finally got. Fed up with his drunk dad, and they decided to move to the countryside, or get out of the countryside, and go to the city. And the girl's point of view is that the girl has no plans on what to do in the city. She just wants to get out. But the thing is, she's also thinking, you know what? Since I have no plans, I'm just gonna like betray the main character, sell off his goods, and use the money and make it big in the city. She is a very scum <laughs> as well. Hey, is this like, I, I, yes. Like, the oh, characters okay. in this game has very extreme personalities. Like, I, I'm guessing, like, she's more like an opportunist. Because, like, before she, like, even went to the city, she basically told the main character, bring that legendary weapon with you. Because, you know, you might need it. You know, because the main character does have a legendary weapon in his household, which is this knife from this hero. And basically she told him to bring it with him, because in case if anything goes wrong, I would just... Tell him to pawn it off and take off that money and make it big in the city or something like that, right? Mm. Uh, obviously, is this, that is this a fantasy like environment or is it more like medieval? Uh, 
it's like a medieval, I say. Well, I guess, but, I guess you said there's magic, so fantasy. Okay. Yeah. But anyways, so anyways, what happened was, you know, they kind of got like this infamous reputation, right? So people thought they were like these two thieves that's been stealing around in the city. So they got taken for mistaken identity by these royal knights. And when the royal knights tried to like sexually harass the main character, like sexual lat, they used like time stop magic on him. But it didn't work for some reason. And the maker was able to use that opportunity to kill him while he's, this guy's trying to like sexually assault him. And I guess this traumatized the main character because he killed somebody. <laughs> and then they run away, and then somebody saved them, and they and this guy teaches them magic. Uh, but before but before he teaches them about the magic, he tells them that there's some very valuable stones across the continent that could turn you into a god, which is called Dillians. This has gone like places in a roller coaster. So <laughs> this is from like uh, this is from like uh, trauma trauma by uh, killing someone to hey kid you can become a god with these stones so, and uh, and cool. you know and the girl's uh, point of view is like mm, maybe I should just collect these stones to sell them and become like a multimillionaire you know that's her her, her so goal. This seems to be seems to be like her very clearly defining character trait. Like character per- personality is very extreme. So anyways. That's and then they go to the you know go to the next destination and Sis gets kidnapped by some big huge dude and that's the end of his part right. So you play the other guy, which is this rich dude. He's this narcissist superhero wannabe. That's kind of like how I would describe him. He looks like Alucard, but his name's not Alucard. His name's Aluard. <laughs> okay. Uh, but mm. anyways, uh, he's this uh, from uh, he's like a noble. What, what, what did I say? He's a noble. He's a he's the prime minister's nephew, and the pri- and basically the prime minister tells him that he needs to him to find the same stones that I was talking about earlier, the Dillians, because apparently they have huge control. And I think the reason why the prime minister wants him to find it is because he's being under controlled by these six wise men, which looks like this Illuminati group. And he believes that if he can collect the stone, he can kind of break free from the system that he was locked in. And like, I, I guess in this part, the game gets really sci-fi because you see that these six wise men are talking like to the supercomputer, saying what the course of humanity should do. Uh, you know, I thought, I thought this was fantasy. <laughs> okay, that's okay. what you thought. Uh, <laughs> because... All right. So this is this this is uh, Star Ocean Two, I think. Uh, well. It, when the end game gets around, you'll find out that it takes place in Earth. You know, it's like very far in the future in Earth or something like that. Oh, so someone washes up on a beach and sees the Statue of Liberty, something like that. Well, I, I think no, it it's, goes it's like, like where you go under the ocean and see the American flag. Uh, okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I think yeah. in the end game is like you find out like I think the Dillians is a body part of an Angel. I think it is. That's how 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 I remember it. It's like. I think how it goes is that humanity committed a sin and God decided to invade Earth and try to kill them all. And humans. So this basically... is fantasy and sci fi <laughs> and like biblical Ragnarok of some sort. We have gotten places with this game. So basically, this is like big spoiler end game, but basically, humans basically killed one of the angels and basically by throwing nuclear weapons at it. But they said they oh. couldn't really fight the angels at this rate because at the rate of using nuclear weapons, you could kill us all before we could even destroy the angels or whatever, right? So, anyways, the, the big spoilers, those parts are made from angels, okay? These treasures that we're looking for. Uh, and it has, like, superpowers from it. But, anyways, 
he's trying to find these treasures, and I think his plot is more like about his brother being jealous of his success. So he stages like this mansion, his own mansion on fire, and so he has to, like res- rescue like one of the maids from there. And turns out the maids is his sister. And they were having like this incest relationship. It's really oh, fucked uh, up. Uh, I, I, okay. I, I'm wondering at what point do we just like cut Chow off and be like, "All right, that's enough." <laughs> but then it gets crazier. <laughs> this game is crazy. It has like nudity. It has like 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 one of the scenes. Like one of the ca- characters get literally like I don't know. It's like you find her fucking naked. Okay, okay, and okay. This, and she's like in this Chow, monster this, test tube. Is this game good? Uh, it is very good in the first half. Before the time skip, okay. there is a time skip. And, and, and then it gets very bad in the second half. Yeah, it's more like it's... Uh, how do I say it? The gameplay gets very unbalanced. Like, this game yeah. is like a sandbox RPG. Like, once you, once every character starts to meet up, they're all trying to find this deliance. The game kind of becomes like a sandbox, like a saga game, right? You can go this way, you go that way. It, it's like you're free, free to explore wherever you like, right? But this also can lead you to getting stuck in like some dungeons very early. Like, like the game can throw you like this little fifty dungeon right at the beginning of the game, but you decided to explore there anyways. And then it's like, oh shit, I'm locked out of my progress. I can't get out of this fucking cave. It's so difficult, right? But I think the game's also designed that you could abuse the jank and exploit to kill all the bosses in this game, even at a low level run. I think you could actually like speedrun how this game works. So uh, it's like so it's like poorly balanced, but you can use that in your favor sometimes. Yes. Like for example, the main character can use magic like Sizz. He has Fire Pillar. Do you remember Fire Pillar from Ragnarok Online? Uh yes. I yes. Do. There's that fight. exact same skill. You imagine the skill. The whole tactic is you attack a boss, get them stuck in the corner, use fire pillar, and the fire pillar will keep burning them while they're being stuck in the corner, and the fire will burn them to death. If you get what I'm saying. Like that's one way you can like beat up all boss fights. In fact, Fire Pillar is I think it's the only way you can kill the last boss in this game. Nice. Good. Uh, but yeah, it's it's very poorly balanced, but I, I would say, like, I think the game, if there is an English patch for this game, but like I said, it's very buggy. Like, I'm not sure it came from the English patch or the game was just that buggy, right? Uh, is, that, is that what I, you were playing it with? Or were you I, I, I am playing it with that. I, if you okay. understand Korean, I heard there's a Korean mod that fixes even all the Korean problems that when the game originally launched. But... Like, how the story goes from, like, Iliart eventually has to meet Sis, and they team up, and they find out there's this big guy who is, who looks like a hobo, but he has a very awesome pass. This guy is actually the Emperor. Uh, uh, uh. And how it goes, it's really fucked up. Like, there's a, was it, the Emperor guy? Basically, they, they have their two politician party that was fighting. And because he sided the side that lost, they basically killed off his entire family. And at the end, when those people in the top all died, they basically forced this guy to become the emperor, right? I and can I can see how Falcom could potentially have taken inspiration from all this because <laughs> it just touches it just touches everything. And they're just like, oh, we'll just dip it, we'll just dip our toes in what we want. And, well, the yeah. thing is, like in this game, if you interact with NPCs, they all speak their different dialogue and they all have their own micro story. Like one of them is like you can read this just diary. Like vampire. Yeah, it, it, it just seems like this game, like if you were to combine all the trails games together into one game, it would somewhat be similar to this game. So what Falcon definitely did feels was, like a kitchen take apart yeah, take apart parts of this game to separate it to their own stories. 
So, like, uh, so, so Falcon's not working on a remake of this game by the end of Trails. That's that's the real answer. Like, I think this game did more than what Trails did in seven games in one. I would say. Uh, is that I a good would, or a bad thing? That was, yeah, that was, yeah, that's not necessarily a good thing. More <laughs> is not always better. I mean, I mean, from a value proposition to the player, they're they're winning. They're, they're winning because they they get seven games worth of value into the one product. I mean, so, yeah, like. I, how it goes like this game has five chapters okay but the first chapter is extremely long like the first chapter is probably like 60 percent of the game and then the rest of it is like <laughs> shorter but you know as soon as you beat the first chapter there's a time skip it's like xenogears like this one you know this one's like it feels complete and this two is just like whatever right if you get what i'm saying okay okay so that this is why you're saying this is the xenogears of korea <laughs> but it. no, but this game actually has a good reputation in Korea. People actually like. Xenogears has a good reputation. <laughs> wanna, like I'm saying, people want a remake of this game. Like for people want forever. a remake of Xenogears. <laughs> well, true. So, so it is the Xenogears of Korea. <laughs> Fuck, you're right. <laughs> yeah, it has a very complete first arc, and then the second half is like very rushed, janked. Mm -hmm. It's like it's just like All whatever. Right. Uh, okay, I'm so, I'm sold on your comparison. Then you're you know what? It's basically the same game. It's like, and it gets all fucking weird with all this angels and mm -hmm. sci-fi and all this crap later on, and you're like, holy shit, what the fuck am I reading here? You know, it's like... But yeah. anyways, I, I just want to say one thing about the Emperor guy. Mm -hmm. Every girl that falls in love with this guy all dies. Mm. He is I'm... literally tragic galore. So, anyways, I, I it is a great game. Else. It is a great game. Uh, I do think that the time skip it, it kind of has like, little problems with all the characters' personality being flipped. Like, if people was timid back in there, in, you know, let's say Sizz is very timid, while the time skip Sizz is a fucking asshole. And then Maria, she's being a gold digger, humblistic person, opportunist person. Humble. She becomes. <laughs> okay, she became mellow out. She's a lot nicer in this time skip. Uh,. I forgot to mention that her goals change from collecting these treasures to marrying Iliar because she finds out Iliar is super rich, so mm -hmm. she's like, I gotta hook up with this dude. But Iliar just treats her like garbage. Uh, I think in, in the storyline, Iliar is like, he's a narcissist in this game, right? And in the time skip, Iliar lost half of his face because he's actually a very good looking guy, and in the time skip, half of his face got chipped off by a rock, and he's like, and I think he blames Maria for all his problems. He's like, thanks to fucking saving you, I lost half my faith. Get the out of my sight, you bitch. That's like one of the lines that he does. Like, like the characters are very extreme in this game. I'm not sure if people can like like their personalities in this game because it's not like your traditional Japanese and American kind of type stories because characters just have very extreme personalities. So, well, anyways. Chow for teeing us up on the Korean Xenogears, the Xenogears of Korea, Arcturus, the Curse, and Lost Divinity. It does have an English uh, fan patch. Looks like that patch has a few bugs, but uh, Google around, it looks like people have figured out ways to, to deal with those if you want to play through this game. Yeah, sounds like sounds like a video game that does exist. Uh, I, I highly recommend someone could give it a try, but it wouldn't want to put up with Korean jank. 
And I, I also got one last detail to mention. You know, some of the maps that they didn't use in this game, they recycled. I thought the Emperor was the being a tragic figure was the last detail. <laughs> I, I, I All forgot right, to one more, that, Joe, One more. I forgot Sweet. to mention that some of the maps that they didn't get to use in this game was recycled into Ragnarok Online. Joy. And then <laughs> I also heard one last thing is that this game, when it's sold in Korea, one of the artists plagiarized somebody, some art from the Korean from the Guilty Gear artists and put it in there and they sold the copies that way and when they found that out uh, they had to pull the copies from the retail store <laughs> and I, I, I don't know if that ruined the sales from it but that's what happened with the history of this game and then uh, I there think the no game and then that's it we're done <laughs> <laughs> we, have, we have news to talk about Chow we have Tokyo Game Show okay fine Chow's like no, I don't no. know fuck that's that's that's, 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 that's uh, current games and future games I, if they're if they're not at least thirty years old, mm, mm. no. Uh, obviously, like I, I do appreciate being getting a chance to talk about Arcturus because whenever Chow puts a game on the list here, I have no idea what to expect, and it seems like that's going to continue because I don't know how you plan for for what we just witnessed in terms of what this game contains. But thank you, Chow, genuinely. So before we go into uh, the announcements and the new details from uh, Tokyo Game Show proper, uh, one of the things that we stated last week that we were looking forward to was uh, a planned live stream from RGG Studio for the upcoming two Yakuza games, or I should say Like a Dragon games, uh, Like a Dragon Gaiden, uh, the man who raised his name, and uh, Like a Dragon Infinite Wealth. So, and Adam, remind me, like, there was a Japanese stream and then, like, the English-facing RGG Like a Dragon Direct, which were kind of yes. branded differently but contained, like, similar information. So, right. uh, the most of the information in the last week more dives around uh, Infinite Wealth, though I do believe, like, for... Um, like a Dragon Gaiden, we get we got like the opening movie for that game, which is just a uh, Kiryu. Again, that game takes place between uh, Yakuza Six and Yakuza Seven, or Yakuza Six and uh, Yakuza Like a Dragon. I guess this game this game is a mess in terms of titles and, and trying to keep it straight. Yeah, but uh, so we got we got we got we got the opening movie for Like a Dragon Gaiden, but more like topically, we did get the release date. And a lot more details and footage and gameplay and story for Like a Dragon Infinite Wealth. Uh, at, at, to, to head it off, we'll say that Like a Dragon Infinite Wealth will launch January 26, 2024, which to me is way earlier than I expected because that's you know just a little over two months after Like a Dragon Gaiden, which is a which is a, you know a, a, like a side quill game. But I was expecting this to be like a summer release next year or something like that. Well, they it's always said even... early, like even before they, they gave a date, okay. they were like, comes out early 2024. So okay, I figured Q1 somewhere. I, maybe I, maybe I yeah, but, but we did, but you know, early 2024, it's like usually, you, you don't really expect it in the first month because usually January is a quiet month traditionally. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, you know, late January is definitely not far off from Gaiden. And also, it is just mere days away from like, you know stuff like Grand Blue Relink and Persona Three Reload as well. So, which is kind of, you know, Sega has a weird strategy, right? Because there's, there's like, you know, like a Dragon Infinite Wealth is gonna be a gigantic RPG. Persona Three Reload is also a gigantic RPG, and they're just releasing these fairly close to each other, just kind of, kind of surprises me a little. You, you would think they'd want to let those two marinate a bit more instead of uh, releasing them just within days of each other. It's an interesting strategy. 
and I assume like you know there's there's some uh, fan base or, or overlap or audience overlap because you know the like like a dragon found so many new like a, a, a new install base with uh, Yakuza like a dragon on the shift to RPG like uh, that was a lot of people's first Yakuza game and they really dug the shift to RP, uh, RPG and you know I imagine a good chunk of that install base do enjoy like you know stuff like Persona because of the turn based nature of the combat. It is, so. it is a bit strange because I still think of like I mean we we covered Yakuza games even before like a dragon because they had some they weren't they weren't RPGs but they had some of the same like flavor uh, and now when you say like Atlas release or not Atlas Sega releasing two RPGs so close to each other I'm like oh yeah I guess that's the case now huh um, alongside the uh, the announcement of the date um, we got two pretty long trailers for this game one that's focused on story and one that's focused on gameplay and then i uh, like of course alongside all this with tokyo game show they have you know stage shows and like live streams and things like that and i haven't i might not be, been able to get all that parsed through uh for the gameplay one of the things that i think is really like just kind of genius is apparently um kiryu when he's in the party has an ability to like break out of the turn base and just go into brawler mode he's just like yeah Screw it's, it's just, really good um, the story yeah, trailer terrific. in itself is like 10 minutes long and it kind of goes all over the place. Like it's hard to tell what events happen in what order it like goes like up and down the gamut of emotions. Like here's the premise. Here's some really serious stuff. Here's some really silly stuff. Uh, obviously parts of it focus on Ichiban, parts of it focus on Kiryu, um, new characters. And there's a part about halfway through all the, the story trailer where it, it literally says like, I guess we're getting the party back together. And it shows pretty much uh, the whole cast from like a dragon. Uh, and at what point does that happen in the story? Uh, one thing that I know that people have highlighted is that as a pretty clear plot point, and this seems to be, this is not a spoiler because it seems to be very clearly integrated into the premise of this game is that Kiryu is sick, he has cancer, and he's like um, contemplating retirement, but he says that's not in his nature. Uh, so what is he going to do? And that seems to be a very dramatic part. Of yeah, the, the, the collective, yeah, the, 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 everyone collectively melted down during the trailer when they're showing in the live stream, like uh, just Kiryu turning back to Imagine Fox, like, he's like, thing is, I've got cancer. And it was like, what? <laughs> Excuse me? Yeah. What the yeah. fuck did he just say? So many people post that screenshot. I don't know. Yeah. You think they're gonna kill him off, or is it gonna be another fake out? I mean, I I, I assume this is kind of they're, they're they're actually trying to like you know try, trying to pass the torch to to Ichiban like genuinely. They're trying to let go of Kiryu. I don't know how they're gonna like you know how they're gonna uh, on what method are they gonna do it? They're just gonna like really kill him off with cancer. Who knows? That you know it's we'll see. I mean we'll we'll see how they do it. Um, you know, and it's not even just like returning characters from like a dragon you have returning characters from like almost the entire series you see you know like uh, daigo there <laughs> and you see you, you see kind of sort of like what's uh, what's um um what's uh, I, i'm forgetting the name of um the eye patch dude uh, majima. The one, majima. majima yeah well just, i mean of like, course yeah yeah but, uh... so but yeah it's just like every, but everyone's like old dude like you see uh <laughs> Even Majima is just like, yeah, you're you're old as fuck here. <laughs> like, shit, yeah. shit, you're shit, you're getting but, old. <laughs> yeah, but um, it, it's a it's a really wild, you know, trailer that just goes up and down and kind of establishes like the the the, the basic basic premise. And like, if this is like what they're establishing as the premise, like who knows where? Oh, this I forgot goes, to because... I forgot to say one part of this. Apparently, yeah. uh, one nugget of the story has to deal with this VTuber 
named Tatara Hiroshima or something like that. It's, let me see if I can find it. Tatara. That's what they call her, Tatara. And like apparently it, she is the one that uh gives away that Yakuza Tatara Hisuka um gives away that Kiryu is still alive. Um and it's just like, okay, that's a that's a way to like integrate that into your story. So yeah. maybe we'll figure out who like who who in real life is the VTuber. Because there's a few uh, new, a few uh, that, that's forbidden knowledge. Yeah, you know, but uh, for some people, well, it's no. a bit of knowledge. Well, I meant like in real in the premise of the game, like you might. I know, I know. Them. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> oh, uh, that the um the Korean boss lady with pink hair, Sujin, uh, uh, Song Song Kui, Song uh, is in the game and seems like she has a major role. She was one of the characters where I didn't really like how she was incorporated in Like a Dragon because she's she's initially framed as an antagonist until you get like um uh like an uneasy alliance with her and you learn that mm -hmm. she was you learn a few things about her i guess i won't spoil it but uh like even like her boss battle with her she like takes a back seat and just sends her goons at you it just felt like this weird like interesting thing like oh i guess we can't fight her for some reason but she's back so if she can kind of have like a big role in this story too uh, i think that'll be fun yeah she's she's a she announced her she's a, a playable character now so she's joining the party and this one which is oh, i really like somebody so you yeah, know this, um, this game that, might have a pretty pretty large playable cast because it looks like yeah. all the old characters are returning and there's like three the, or four new ones so yeah they, they announced you know adachi saiko jungi mm -hmm. jao are, are still coming back and then there's some newcomers obviously kiryu's joining the party mm -hmm. um then yeah you have a new characters tomizawa and chitose uh they, they were introduced in the story trailer um mm -hmm. we don't know too much about them which is fine and uh, they'll be joining the party so yeah it's you know, and 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 as as we go over to the gameplay as well, like as you imagine, like th this will have the job system from the original uh, game, but you know, with all new classes, like they show it off, like samurai, desperado, geo dancer, pyro dancer, housekeeper, um, and all that stuff. And you know, it, it, it's it's really they're really learning a lot of like lessons that that you know, like it, like. Yakuza Like a Dragon was their kind of first go at their RPG transition for the Yakuza series. And now, based on feedback that they got and how that game, you know, played, it wasn't it was it was a great ride, you know. It was it was nice seeing and uh it was a nice introduction to Ichiban and all those characters and how that story developed. Um and but the, I think the 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 uh pain points of it kind of the the weaknesses of Yakuza Like a Dragon were kind of intrinsically its RPG systems where it wasn't as smooth as it could be, and now they're really... It, it's very noticeable that they're making a concentrated effort to improve upon and enhance upon those systems to really make this as good as it can be. Like, one of the immediate things that you notice off the bat with this combat system is now you can manually move in a certain radius when it's your turn in battle, Unlike in Yakuza, like Instead in Dragon, of just, had no, where they just kind of like waddle and wander. Yeah, they kind of wander. Yeah, so like, like whenever you got, whenever your characters attacked with an environmental object in Yakuza, like a Dragon, it was like a mere coincidence. That was something you had no control over. It was just they just decided to wander over there. While this one, you can actually go over to like an environmental object that's within your radius, and hey, you want to attack them there, then that you have more control over that. Um, and like you mentioned over uh, uh, earlier, like there are some character-specific things that, like the uh, the way that they interact with the system, like Kiryu can get out of turn-based and go into brawler mode briefly uh, to interact with that, which is a really cool kind of bringing back the spirit of you know older 
Yakuza games into this game because, it, like, you know, controlling Kiryu as a turn-based character can be a bit weird. So uh, ways to kind of make it more dynamic is cool in that uh, that aspect. Um, and then they just showed a ton. And of course, we're no longer we're far away from Kamurocho. The the main stage here is Hawaii. That is the big big mm-hmm. shakeup here is location, right? And we're we're not in Kamurocho. We're not in the what was the other city uh, that was like the main one for Ejinko, um, uh, Yok- Yokohama. Yes, and then, yeah, and then yeah. Sotenbori, I forget what region it's in. Yeah, uh, the big three that I think of. There's of course others throughout the series, but those are the big three. Yeah, so this one's is you know the very tropical focus. They they do have like a dynamic real time weather system uh, now, and they shut off. Well, you know, just everything you remembered about Yakuza like a dragon in terms of systems, plus times ten, I guess, and it's even more crazy. You know, the, the mini games, of course. Um, they have like a sort of crazy taxi equivalent with a almost like a crazy uh, you do let you do food delivery on a bike, delivering pizza and burgers to Americans, and it's like, yes, this is exactly yeah, that's totally well, well, and, and then joining the Segway Club, uh, from Cloud from last week in FF7 Rebirth, uh, Ichiban also rides a Segway. I guess that's yeah. such a trendy thing Year to do now in RPGs, yeah. <laughs> um, so that's an interesting coincidence that uh, they both came up upon. Um, you know, what, what did you think? What did you think, Brian? Because you know, you've you, you played these Yakuza games, you're finally caught up with me. Like, what were I want to hear, like, sort of what were your uh, thoughts on when you saw the gameplay reveal? Um, for me, I uh, the, I've more recently played the Judgment games, so it's been mm-hmm. a while since Like a Dragon, and I think I kind of want to read a plot synopsis just to try to remember like where things were left off. Because one of the key premises of the story trailer is Shirasawa, I believe is his name, who was like an like an antagonist, at least a minor antagonist in the first game before you learn about um, uh, Arasawa, the younger one. Yeah, yeah, and then like in this premise of this game, like he is the one that is sending Ichiban to Hawaii. And I'm trying to think, wait, what? What? Like, how did they leave off with each other last time? Were they allies? Were they uneasy allies? Um, or things like that. And so I kind of want to just read a story synopsis just to kind of remember where I was. Um, but I think all Yakuza games are kind of like that in terms of the turn base. When you're talking about the uh the combat system of the first game, for whatever reason, the thing that paints my mind's eye is when you control a character and they just like randomly waddle back and forth. Yeah. Um, if there's like a railing next to like their, where they're standing, they'll like randomly like climb over it and back over it and back over it. Like if you're near the side of the road, and there's like a little railing, like a right. character will like, they'll, they'll like, it's smart that they have like, I mean, that's, that probably is pretty difficult to program. Like if this character gets too close to this object, then they'll animate and climb over it. But then they'll waddle back the other direction and climb back over it back again. Yeah, again. in practice, <laughs> like through the execution, it just looks stupid. Uh, yeah, know? really, really goofy. So, so even though it's a hard thing to show off in trailers, I think like how does this game improve? As you know, now it's an RPG series. Uh, it's to kind of clean up things like that. Try to make it not feel kind of as the first game kind of felt loose, sloppy, messy, kind of in a way where it like incorporates these really like interesting, good ideas, but it just doesn't feel polished where mm-hmm. here is their opportunity to be like, oh, now this really feels like like I have control over what I'm doing and not subject to RNG uh, and things like that. So that's kind of what I'm looking forward to. But that's kind of hard to sell in trailers. Trailers, of course, what both these trailers mostly focuses on are all the characters. You know, that's always a big hit in terms of like who's returning, who's new. Um, and the, the gameplay trailer, a good chunk of it is 
mini games like you'll see like the like you said like the the food delivery of course there's uh karaoke um there's all sorts of other ones there's ones with like pole dancers and so some sort of uh, substitute for like the there, there's like it's like a dating sort. app like you, you could like you kind of there's like a uh, like a almost a qte dating app aspect yeah. of uh, ichiban like uh, responding to like text messages and like trying to get on dates um but it's, uh, it's all and I don't know if you saw this Chow, like if you saw, if you watch his trailer, but you know Gacha Pin from Gram Blue, like when they do. The yeah, I saw calls. them there. Yeah. I, I talked to my guildmates, and we're like, "What the hell is Gacha Pin doing there?" Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like so, like fucking weird ass cameos like that. It's just it's like they showed so much game that it's like, how is this game even real and possible? Like it's so, it, like I always like this, like the spirit of Yakuza. In that sense of like when they start showing off gameplay, you know that's exactly what you're getting, and that's exactly going to be this like. What they what they advertise is like the goofiness. You feel that as you play the game, and they have a well established mm-hmm. reputation of delivering on that. I think that's the strength of like the series as a whole. Like you're, you're they're always focusing on like the fun aspects. There are some serious things that happen in the main plot for sure. But when it comes to like the like the moment to moment gameplay, when you just want to like wander around and explore at your own leisure, you you know you're you're in for a very good time. And especially now that Ichiban has gained so much goodwill and like the trust. Of like people like you're no longer like you're not you're He's not, not the underdog like, anymore yeah exactly you are fully on board with Ichiban you are sold at his character and his development and you just know that he's just a fun dude to like see goof off with his friends and he does seem like he'd be a really good foil for Kiryu so they interact a little bit in seven but mm-hmm. having a whole game of that seems like it could be really fun yeah oh I do one last thing I'll say and I don't know like this is not something they could ever advertise or market but whenever i play most yakuza games are like a dragon one thing that eventually kind of starts to bug me at the end is that i'm like you're running around town and you're hitting like the mini games or you're following your your little um sub stories or things like that and then you'll see like a group of enemies and you really have no reason to fight them you already really got really good gear or in this game you're really high level so i just like no 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 don't don't get into battle run 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 like and it's just it ends up being sort of this thing i think i've been streaming some when i've been playing this game and adam's been watching uh where i'm just like oh please don't get into a battle because eventually it kind of gets old and i it's one of those things where hopefully they have it in a way where you don't feel that quite as strongly in terms of like you know you never get to a point where the battling becomes a chore which i think yeah. in like a dragon or yakuza 7 it did a little bit by the end uh so hopefully they kind of figure out uh you know the progression curve or getting some challenging things or um figure out a way to kind of account for that from a gameplay standpoint yeah yeah absolutely the hopefully, hopefully they do figure out you know the, how to like improve upon the rpg systems because you know, if you're going to make a whole last RPG, the, one of the main things you should really, really consider is like, how do I make like the progression as smooth as possible, as organic as possible, to make it feel it seems like there's like not really, you know, you're never like pulling teeth with the system almost, and wrestling with that. So you know, but we'll see. It, it's not only it's it's just around the corner now. You know, unexpectedly, here it is, the beginning of the year next year. Well, yeah, November we'll have Gaiden, and January we'll have Infinite Wealth. Yeah, so I'm excited. Do you think you'll beat it before Persona 3 launches? I highly doubt it. Uh, it is a big-ass RPG. Uh, unless I'm the one reviewing it and we somehow like get code like fairly early. You know, it's it's going to be a big game for us, for sure, because it's not only just like, getting out the review. It's like there's definitely going to be pe- people who want like guides on some stuff, like remember the, the test answers from the, uh, Yakuza 7. Like that was mm. something that, you know, people wanted to know, so. 
we'll see. We'll see what, what what sort of content this has, and I'm sure there's gonna be a lot of uh, guide work to be done as well. We'll see. Here, the next news post here is something that Adam has been looking forward to for a few weeks now. Uh, we finally got the official English version translation report of the Square Enix results briefing that were initially held uh, early last month in early August. So, Adam, why were you looking forward to this like financial results briefing of all things for the last couple of weeks? All right. So. Uh, Japan is a capitalist society, and <laughs> uh, Square Enix is a publicly held company. They have shareholders, and so what that means is is that they do an investors they do a bit of financial results briefing every quarter. These are all facts so far <laughs> to explain to their investors to their shareholders how they're doing. Now, um, so. Their financial fiscal year starts on April. So their quarter is April through June. Now, some a game released in that quarter that Square Enix released in that quarter. It's called yeah, Final June, Fantasy 16. Yeah. Um, so they're, they're giving the results of their business and the sales of Final Fantasy 16 are a key component. Okay, I'll stop being silly. Um, so they announced that Final Fantasy 16 hit 3 million sales. Now, without any context to that at all, that really doesn't mean a whole lot. You know, one game selling three million could be a fantastic, we couldn't have ever expected this success, where for another game that could have been a total failure, depending on budgets, expectations, or whatnot. So literally, a shareholder or an investor asked the president of Square Enix, Kiryu, I forget his first name, uh, it's not Kazuma. He's just Kiryu now. Uh, yeah, uh, asked him, Hey, so Final Fantasy 16 sold three million units. How is it? Does that meet your? Does that meet your expectations? What are you going to be doing to go to do further sales? Like, how? how what are we going to go from here? Now, the reason why this uh, document that just came out is interesting is because this meeting was held almost six weeks ago on August fourth, and so when that happens, there's no recording or anything of the meeting. The only thing we have to go by are basically secondhand accounts. And obviously, they're, everything is done in Japanese. So we're getting kind of the secondhand translation of like, what was asked? What did, they, what did he say? And at the time, you get reports from like Bloomberg or whatever saying that, you know, Kiryu said that uh, Final Fantasy 16 sales didn't meet the high end of expectations and met the low end of expectations, according to three people who were present or something. And it's just... It's very vague and kind of weird in terms of like trying to decipher through Twitter if what was said, if it was interpreted correctly. Sometimes these Twitter analysts, like they literally, literally will like delete their tweets and be like, no, I, I said it wrong. I'm sorry. And it's just kind of tedious to be like, all right, what did he say? What was asked? And so finally, six weeks later, Square Enix just puts out a transcript in English. They translate it like, here's what we said. Here's what we asked. And here's what was said. Um, and let me pull it up here. So what's sort of funny is that like other companies will do this like within a week. I have no idea why Square Enix takes uh, six, like, weeks. six weeks to do that. And they basically just put themselves at the whim of Twitter analysts. So he was asked, quote, initial sales of Final Fantasy 16 were 3 million units. How did that compare to your expectations? And how do you plan to expand sales going forward? And the answer was, 
This achievement was in line with our expectations. To expand sales, we have planned a variety of PR activities and, and other initiatives to encourage more of the growing PlayStation 5 install base to play the title. So, you know, some of that is just marketing speak, like we're going to have initiatives or whatever. But, you know, he says it's within expectations. And, you know, I have to imagine there's some sort of auditing that he can't just lie. Um, so now you might, there might be some reading in between the lines here of like, these might be their expectations for launch sales, but maybe not for like total sales, you know, once it's all said and done or what have you. But this is basically what we have to go on. They say that Final Fantasy 16 sales were within expectations. Nothing vague about it. There's a direct source. You can find it. It's on their public site for anyone to see. It's within expectations. So sounds like and, and it's start... frustrating because like you, you like I remember seeing that tweet about did not meet the high end of expectations, which is like if you read that whole statement, you might say, sure, I guess that might be true. But like right. the way it's initially framed, they're very clearly it feels like whoever would have tweeted that, you know, they, they have an incentive to get the engagement. Right. So they're going to say this is a true statement. I did nothing wrong, but I'm going to phrase it like this just to, you know, have the wording did not meet in the in their tweet only then they say the high end of expectations and you're like wait what so it's very yeah. nice just to get it like from the horse's mouth stated in plain language what it was it's crazy how we have to like you know teach people about primary sources and um yep. i'm gonna teach these things in school uh yeah but you know but people want clout uh chow okay and social media media clout is way better than primary sources, okay? Now, around the same time when the meeting was held on August 4th, uh, there was also stuff out there saying, like, I'm paraphrasing here, Square Enix is killing AAA, or is killing AA games. Or something oh, I remember like that. that, yep. Yeah, and it's like, wait, really? Oh, crap. And the thing is, is, well, what did they actually say? My, my, my favorite Square Enix game is a AA game. Yeah. How dare they? Uh, they they have a lot of franchises. They're not really like the big big budget stuff. But um, so this is the question. Now the question itself wasn't about triple A. It was just actually something that President uh, Kiryu, what is his first name? Uh, Takashi Takashi Kiryu, uh, basically just brought about on his own. And this is what he said. What he actually said about triple A games. I want to improve our profitability. I see ample room for improvement in our operating profit margin and would like to start by pr working primarily on our HD games division. In addition, rather than solely attempting to create brand new IPs, we intend to take a nuanced approach to investment, whereby we also identify existing IPs with the potential to be upgraded to AAA status, taking return on investment into account as well. So in doing so, we hope to establish greater depth to the layers of our portfolio. So you know my interpretation of that is basically they're going to take non final fantasy franchises you know other ip that he said not not nothing new just stuff they already have and like he says upgraded triple a status so what do that means more budgets certain staffs on them certain protocols you know it sounds like maybe they will take a game like i don't know i'm i'm literally picking this out of a hat not literally but uh valkyrie elysium and be like all right our next valkyrie game we're going to give it triple a status you know more budget more staff more time higher expectations something like that now we have no idea which ip they're looking at here but it sounds like not necessarily saying killing triple or killing double a games is like the most cynical way you could possibly look at this <laughs> i think it's yeah. just like okay they're gonna take some of their games and 
give them more resources. Now, that might inevitably mean rather than releasing 16 games in 16 weeks or whatever they did last year, they might only release 10 games in 16 weeks. Oh, my know. God. They're killing double-A <laughs> titles. Ah! <laughs> but, yeah. So, now, these things, they always have a lead time to them. So, if this is their plan and this is actually going to happen, it'll probably be three, four years before you really see anything from that. Right. But that's what they said. So, again, the reason why I was looking forward to this is so we can get away from the they're killing double-A games, you know, kind of hearsay. <laughs> and more like, all right, here's what he said. They're intending to pick IPs with the potential to be upgraded to AAA status. Now, yeah, I mean, you can cynically look at that as killing double-A games, but come on, come on. So, yeah, that was their results. Now, uh, sort of interestingly, we're actually not too far away from the July, August, September quarter ending and then getting the results for that yeah, we get to do this whole clown dance again yeah. till the end now, of what, time what did square enix release had, did square enix release anything in this quarter like ever crisis oh ever crisis oh, i guess yeah, i guess yeah. you're not wrong yeah. I actually, tell. actually uh one of the uh one of the questions is actually sort of amusing to me so i went over two of the answers uh there is a question i actually i didn't report on this on the website but it, this is sort of amusing to me uh, it's about Ever Crisis. I'll just read it verbatim again. What sorts of events should we be watching for in quarter two and beyond? And the answer We are especially looking forward to Final Fantasy VII Ever Crisis. Given the title's nature as a free to play game, we believe it fair to expect substantial upside for our earnings should the title outperform our assumptions. Mm -hmm. Which is kind of funny. It's just like, it's almost two things. It's almost like circular logic. Like, it'll be good for our earnings. If it outperforms our expectations, it's like, isn't that always? If it outperforms, <laughs> it'll outperform. <laughs> and then also, I thought it was sort of funny, like, given the title's nature as a free to play free to play game, we expect oh. it to be a substantial upside to our earnings. It's I don't know if that's sort of like saying the quiet part out loud. Like, we hope people really wail on this one. Yeah, uh, our earnings will be good like, if this free to play game makes money for us with people spending money in this free to play. Just release game. all the just release all the Tifa outfits, just any outfit. I mean that, that's that's, that's not that, that's not break last. They, they really started, uh, yeah. right? in, in emergency break last. That's the that's the that's what it says on the on the uh, Tifa banners. Yeah, yeah. Any uh, will we'll do well. I can't well, tell if that game's a success or not. I never heard anyone. I mean, we'll see. About it. We'll. I mean, I sub. Uh, I I would. An investor might ask about it next. So like they'll probably hold their investor meeting in like early October. Or no, it'll actually, probably be late October, and then like. We'll get our, we'll get like the Twitter translation. Yeah, we'll, we'll get the then, social media misinformation and wave, then we'll and then get, the real we'll transcript. And then and the like YouTubers will come there. Oh yeah, the, the YouTube. Oh, yeah, you're you're right. The social yeah. media misinfo. Then the YouTuber reaction to the social media misinfo, and then whatever else, and then the real info. <laughs> yeah, so it's always perfect a because it takes about <laughs> it takes about a month after the quarter ends to get the actual presentation, and then it takes six weeks after that to get the. Yeah. The outline of the um, presentation. Uh, so yeah, it's it's always a little delayed. Where do you slot into this chat? Do you watch the the YouTuber reaction to the social media misinfo? I watch both. I, okay. I like sometimes I like hearing certain people's take about it. Like I I love hearing Penguin Z talking about like random stuff or some ordinary gamers talk about outrage. <laughs> I think they their approach is really funny. Okay. But, but you I know, do think like sometimes it, I do think think it can be valuable for someone who is knowledgeable 
to say, you know, here's my interpretation of what Square Enix is doing, you know, kind of having that sort of third party, you know, I'm not biased, where Square Enix is obviously biased about what they're talking about. But sometimes you get the people who really like overreact or misinterpret or what have you. So it's, it's a fine line. And I don't want to get like, we are the first people to have our heads on no. straight when talking about no. this. Of course not. <laughs> but, but, but like, it is nice to be able to have the actual presentation in front of us and talk about it rather than just say like a you know, caveat or equivocate uh, what we're saying and things like that. We should probably try to encourage people to seek out primary sources more and more to avoid misinformation. I think that's yeah, you should not, you should that. not listen to this podcast. You should, you should go to the source. <laughs> Uh, go to hd.square-enix.com slash eng slash ir slash ir news. There you go. You heard it here first. IR stands for investor relations. You oh, don't thank know you. That. I thought it was infrared. <laughs> Me too. It can be. <laughs> Context is key. A few other news things that are not quite uh, Tokyo Game Show related, though this was announced like basically at the same time when both things were going on. Uh, this was kind of an expected announcement. This is coming out of NIS America. The topic here is, of course, the Trails or Kiseki series. Uh, there are two announcements that NIS America made, uh, one of which I believe was teased up with a ratings board. And that is, is that uh, Trails of Cold Steel 3 and 4 will be launching on PlayStation 5 in 2024. Which... The, the, the cool thing about this is it's a two-in-one pack. So it's not like you buy them separately on PS5. It's like you get both. Oh, that's neat. Yeah. And th this had happened previously with like, the, with like the East titles and things like that. So we kind of, you know, it's one of those things like, oh, that makes sense. How they're going to do that. And then, of course, since in July, we finally got the official English release of Trails into Reverie. The next thing on the list was, of course, Kuro no Kiseki. And then NIS America has announced that next summer, Trails through Daybreak will launch for PlayStation 4, PlayStation 5, Nintendo Switch, and PC. And so Trails Through yeah, Trails Through Daybreak is the official English title of Kurono Kiseki. And we got an announcement trailer that basically focuses primarily on characters, both like the playable cast and supporting cast. And then of course focusing on uh this is um cro not crossbell, this is Calvert. It's kind of a new entry point, it's a new arc and an ongoing story. Of course, even though it is a new entry point. It is still an ongoing story, kind of the usual caveat that accompanies this series. And then, of course, the, uh, you oh, go, go for ahead. it. Finish up. Yeah. yeah. My last you, thing I was going to say is that the, the the toggling between the two different combat modes, of course, that was big when Chrono Kaseko uh, was coming out in Japan. The uh, the action flavor versus the traditional flavor. Go ahead, Adam. Uh, so two comments. One or three comments, maybe. We already knew this was happening. Not only is it just expected like oh nis america has done the last five games they're probably going to do the next one mm -hmm. um but also nis america literally published the japanese version on steam right like wait why there. is nis america doing this huh and then they'll, they'll do that again <laughs> yeah i mean it's it's there it's on steam you can buy it. i know but i'm just saying i don't uh, think they'll do that again after the Nayuta sales <laughs> uh anyways the um uh falcom themselves even put out a post saying this will be in English coming later. It's like, oh, okay, someone's translating it. I wonder who. That's so crazy. we knew it was getting translated. And then the other thing I wanted to bring up was Nintendo Switch platform is new. That's brand new. It yeah, didn't yeah. exist on Switch before. So it's coming to Switch. That's, so that's I don't cool. know if Durante is doing that port like he did uh, Trails, the Crossbell games. 
or if it's a Falcom internal switch port, they've done a few. Um, it's announced by NIS America, so I'm, I would guess Durante, but I don't know for sure. Um, that's the thing is, is that there's a new switch port. Yeah, uh, that's also yeah, that's also something like it could be a delayed announcement by Falcon because they have an investor meeting at this December where they yeah, could yeah. announce that uh, themselves. As What's sort of interesting about Falcom is that they're one of the only Japanese companies. Most Japanese companies, especially gaming industry companies, start their fiscal year in April, where Falcom starts theirs in October. Yeah. So their their December meeting is basically their end of the year meeting. Like everything through September, which is always why they release a game in September. It's basically like our big game right at the end of the year, at the end of our fiscal year. Um, so yeah, they always have an announcement in September. And I don't think we covered this because it was in Famitsu. This is sort of an aside. They said they're going to be announcing a game at their meeting or possibly possibly before that is different from Trails or Kaseki or East. It's like, hey, okay. that's, that's a good idea in concept. Yeah, yeah <laughs> so, you and I were talking about it. It's like, hopefully it's not just like a Kaseki and like a different skin, like, like Metaphor yeah. Fantasio is sort of like a persona and a different skin. At least that's what it appears to be. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, yeah, hopefully, hopefully, in... hopefully that's uh, exciting. You know, hopefully that's cool. I, I'm really interested to see what they have up in store. I know uh, they've also some of the things that weren't directly in the press release, but kind of trickling out through various places. Well, the press release did announce Trails in the River or Trails in the River. Trails through Daybreak is dual audio. It's got an English dub again, which is I think expected. Yeah. Um, some of the English voice actors have already announced, like, "Hey, I'm Van." I forget the per the character who the actor who plays Van in English. He's announced it. I forget who it is. Yeah, that, uh, that, that's a, that, that's a trailer. Also, is also in English, and I like you know the they kind of do, oh, do sample does. voices. So yeah, it, yeah. So like they they have a pretty good voice cast. Like from what I, I heard, know some people trailer. were disappointed. That it, it's Damien. Ha it's Damien has. He's oh. um. I think he's from. I'm, I'm not familiar. I think he's a YouTuber, and I, have, oh. I also remember he did something in Free Houses. A handful of YouTubers have gone into voice acting, you know, maybe some of the most popular ones being like Ashley Birch. Um, yeah. But anyways, you can see there's some carry, there's some crossover like skill there. But um, yeah, so it's pretty much seems to be one of NIS America's biggest games next year for sure. So yeah. next summer, I would not be surprised if it was a similar release date kind of falling into that July window. I feel like that's a good time for these sorts of games when it's not super busy. It doesn't get crowded out. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The July sounds, it would be nice, but it, it's cool. You know I mean? We're, we're slowly catching up to Japan with, uh, you know, yeah. like, so well, I remember yeah. like a couple years back when it was like, when Kuro was brand new, it's not that old, but you know, what was it? Three like years two ago? Two years old. It's okay, like years. at least 2021 or was it 2020? Yeah, two years. Cause the two years ago was Kuro. One year ago was Kuro Two, and then this year is East X. Right. So, and I and I remember when when Nice America said, "Hey, we're gonna make um the crossball games." Like, oh no, we're now we're gonna be waiting even longer for Kuro. And like, okay, like we got through that hurdle, we got the crossball games out, and I think that you know if you want the series to have an audience, have everything available in English, uh, and you know on a on modern storefronts. And now you say, okay, now we don't have this crossbell gap anymore. You can play it, and then you can go into Kuro um, or Daybreak. So I think it was the right move in the long term. Of course, I don't know like what their sales expectations are and things like that, but they're 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 continuing to to get them localized. So clearly, they're seeing oh, yeah. enough return to to keep them uh, their heads above water. I remember the last thing I wanted to say, and this is one of those things you sort of meme about 
but it's right there, right for the taking. Uh, on their press release for Trails of Cold Steel 3-4, new to the Trails series? Start your adventure with this dynamic combo pack. <laughs> hey, let's you go. can start with Trails of Cold Steel 3. NAS America says so, literally. I mean, Kondo said so, too, and they were even I mean, the Popcom partnered with, yeah. So there you we, go. we said that so many times. We we're not going to tell you not to buy their games. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, you know, Trails Through Daybreak, you know, unironically, like, if you just wanted to play, like, a one-off game, this is the, probably the most one-off game that you can play as, because Trails Through Daybreak is fairly isolated, for the most part, from the rest of the Trails series. Like, it is a brand new cast, a brand new location. The re the references to, like, past Trails games are pretty minimal. They're still here and there, obviously, through, like, the world building and, like, what's going on, like, behind the scenes. But it, 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 but it is a pretty much self-contained story, as much of a self-contained story as you're gonna get for a while in these games. So if you just like plan to like play one of these games like a modern game, like you know, this would be a good I'd not just say it's a starting point for like your Trails game because Trails like Kuro 2 is a fucking shit show. You need to know the entire series up to that point to understand anything in Kuro 2. I, I say that genuinely because I because I know what happened in Kuro 2. Um but in Kuro, like if you just want to do a one-off Trails game and be done with it, you're that that's perfectly fine in my opinion. Uh, it, I think like here. Reverie, it's gonna take us a while to stop saying Hajimari or in this case Kuro and like oh yeah, it's yeah. Daybreak now. Yeah, Kuro um, is just easier to say than Daybreak. It is. It is true. <laughs> uh, two and like uh, and Chow alluded to this earlier, but earlier on in the week I went to go uh, like what are the thought experiment? Well, I wanted to go check in on like the experiment that uh, Nisa had with Durante and Falcom where. We were talking about Nayuda last week, and I was really interested to see how well did that sell on PC, uh, on PC because that was like the first implementation of releasing the P Japanese version first on PC. Like it, they released the PC version under Durante in East America on Steam, but it was the Japanese script only because they already had the PC port ready to go, and Durante, you know, uh, worked on it. And then so back in December 2021, they released the Nayuda PC released that only had a japanese script and their plan was well when we had the english localization done and ready to go and also you know released on consoles we're gonna add that in as a patch and then back then when we were privy to this knowledge on what they were gonna do i even asked you know a few staff members like james like okay if they're gonna do that will that have the nayuda go will they put nayuda back up on the new releases list on steam because like, I wonder if that's even possible if they're going to do it, like, through a patch update, if that's even eligible. Like, you know, how early access games get back on the new release list once they reach 1.0, their quote-unquote full release, you know, when they're ready to, you know, release it for real, not the, not the uh, exit early access and all that. So, I noticed, uh, you know, this past week, oh, Nayuda's not on the new releases list, even though it came out. And then, so I was wondering, okay, well, let's see how well it's sold. Uh, you know, and then the easiest way to check up on this is like the active players on Steam charts. So I'm not going to say that's like, indicative of how much was sold, but like how many people are actively playing it now. I assume that people who picked up Nayuda on PC would want to play it uh, there and then. And the peak was uh, an unfortunate 116, you know, and obviously the current active people playing it is was always, you know, under 116, you know, that never reached that peak. And that's really unfortunate because. That, that that's kind of the power of having your game up on the new releases list on the front page of Steam is a large amount of people rely on that new releases list to kind of inform them, hey, what's out this week or what's out what's out recently, 
you know. And for a lot of people, they didn't even know. Like even when they had Nayuda on their wish list, they didn't know it was out because that's the, like wish wish listing a game doesn't inform you of like of like of like a patch update. You know, the, I think it, I think it only informs you if it goes on sale. I know I've gotten those emails saying, "Hey, this yeah. game on your wish list is on sale," but it's it's not that it it, it didn't get triggered that that. That yes. game had a new patch or yeah. anything, or was on sale, or and and, and, that, and that, that, that's the that's the same thing they're going to do with uh with, with uh Daybreak is the 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 Durante made uh PC release of Daybreak is already out on Steam and then also published under Nice America. It's just a Japanese script only for now, and they will add this English localization when it's ready next summer. And they're going to do it the same way they did with Nayuda is through a patch update. So you know. Who knows what the? Well, I assume it's the, like the the sales of Daybreak on PC will be unfortunately be very low, like Nayuda, because of this method as well. Because I assume that it will not show up on the new releases list when it comes out next summer on Steam, and that's it. Just goes to show, like, uh, like I didn't even like blame Nice America for this. It's like one of those experiments that, like, it sounds like it sounds great on paper because of efficiency, right? Um, but but because of this, you don't know if you're going to go back to the new releases list because you've never, no one's really ever tried this before. So, um, it's now I know it, there has been a couple of games where they release in early access, like mm-hmm. Japanese only. Yeah, and yeah. then when they get the full release, they kind of time time it with the English localization. So they yeah. maybe should have done that. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking too. Like, I wonder if like release, I I wonder. If there was like uh if they considered doing the early access hunt, and I wonder if there were like any limitations behind the scenes or any like contract agreements with Falcom behind the scenes that like prevented that, because uh, the stipulations of like releasing early access and what that could, you know, what 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 that kind of um means for like the Japanese market, I guess. Like, like it, it almost feels like oh, it's incomplete because it's only the Japanese script, and that would like not go over well, you know. Uh, with Falcom and the Japanese audience, maybe there's some sort of like it. It does seem like a workaround, like not not the intended use of early access. Yeah, so it's 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 a it's a, it's a hard thing to like say one way or the other without knowing the particulars. Uh, obviously, behind the scenes on their partnership, but you know, hopefully it gets sorted out because the, the, I I don't think this is really the the path to go if you want like a good PC fan, like install base there day one, like when the when the localization. It's um, that's that's a hard thing to solve. So we'll see. We'll see what they decide to do. Uh, especially with like, I, I think I think Daybreak is already set and sealed. I'm like, it's gonna follow that path because the PC release is already out there. But I I don't think um, Kuro Two, I don't think that PC version by Durante has been released yet. I believe. No. Okay. So we'll see if well, if they adapt uh, due to the circumstances. And I think that covers us. Oh, no, here's one other thing that was before Tokyo Game Show. So we talked last week, of course, uh, at the Nintendo Direct about, on the Japanese Nintendo Direct, the announcement of a follow-up, the first in over a decade, for the Shira and the Wanderer series. Um, and it did not show up on an English announcement. And we were like, oh, we'll probably get that down the road. So we still don't have a formal English announcement for the Shira and the Wanderer 6. But we did see a retailer as a canadian retailer as they ought to do um had a listing for sheer and the wanderer with an english subtitle called the mystery dungeon of serpent coil island and then of course it's the same game and we the the retail listing had screenshots it even had um like a like an about page that was basically like a mini press release about the game 
uh, English package artwork and descriptive text and all that. So basically, like all everything was there to show that they weren't just um, like they were they were given yeah, some information. With, they, sometimes with retailers, it's like they're just guessing or hoping they have like an empty box art. Like here's you know a title, and you know just because it's a title and an empty box art doesn't mean they know anything. They're just hoping. But in this mm -hmm. case, they have like the descriptive text, new art, a new logo and screenshots with English translation and everything. So it's like, yeah, this looks real. Uh, does it have a release date? Uh, yes, it does. Yeah, according to February, uh, the... February 27th. Oh, that sounds yeah. dead on arrival two days before no, FF7. No, nothing else is releasing at that time. Okay, <laughs> yeah, nothing else is releasing in Q1 next year. Oh, I'm sorry, guys. I get to ditch this game for FF7. I assume that's going to be what the most people's plans are. <laughs> I'm looking forward to that episode of the podcast where we're talking about FF7, and then James is like, so, I played Cheer and the Wanderer 6. Well, actually, no, he'll probably oh, yeah. play it in January. He'll probably play the Japanese version. So, oh, yeah. He's oh, yeah. my guess. I don't know. He does uh, what he wants. Uh, I mean, uh, there's also Switch exclusive, which means, like, I'll just wait for the PC version because Cheer and the Wanderer 5 eventually hit PC, so... I mean, it took true. like seven years or whatever, but it did. It did. I mean, you know, but I assume I'm this one will come to PC earlier than that. Yeah. So no Wait, official I was sort of exaggerating. I was sort of exaggerating, but let me actually look up. Like, when did? It yeah, that's a good point. Vita. I have no idea. I'm like, well, I, I... it Sure, the Wonder Five. It was DS, then Vita, then Switch, then PC. Is that right? I, I'll say, say yes. So, I believe it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds correct. Ish. All right, let me look at this. I'm going to Game FAQ's release data. This is usually uh, that's a throwback. Yeah, actually, Wikipedia might be easier for this. Yeah, so it, it released. It, it released on DS uh, in 2010 in Japan, and then it got to Vita in the West in 2016. And then uh, we'll forget switch PC. So Vita in 16 and then PC in uh, 2020. So four years, not seven years. Okay. Did, did, that, did that ever hit switch? Did you... It did. I went to switch. Switch was also 2020. Okay. Okay. So eventually, maybe um, if the, you know, it'd be great if they, to play this on Steam. <laughs> Now it's the the sort of confusing thing is, is like why hasn't Spike Chunsoft announced this? Like why are what are they what are they waiting for? Uh, <laughs> like so if you're not it was announced in Nintendo Direct, and if they already knew they were going to if they already knew that they're doing a localization, they have a art, they have a release date and everything. Uh, why not? Usually, you would they would like announce it right after the Nintendo Direct or alongside it, and for some reason they haven't. Maybe, maybe they're still deciding something. Maybe that release date. Maybe they realized. Oh no. Uh, yeah, yeah, it might be. It might be. Yeah, it actually might be because oh fuck, we're like if we're, there's a really hot release date or release period. Maybe they want to like delay it a yeah. little bit. Yeah. So um, the thing to remember is that this is not technically official. Like yeah. all the arts and stuff there looks like it was official at one time but you know until they announce it they can make whatever change they want so it like it reminds me of, like um when i think stray gods like I, no it was a stray god it was something something yeah, stray gods they released like the same week as baldur's gate 3 and they were like oh no oh yeah okay. do that. yeah 
So it's you, you know, <laughs> everyone, uh, the, no, no one is like an island, right? Everyone is very aware of like, oh, a big thing is uh, is releasing near me. Maybe I should adjust uh, uh, my release timing because a big thing is releasing near me. You know, no, no one's plugging their ears. Looking through the remaining announcements, uh, there's still kind of a bit of a of a hodgepodge here. We'll go into some Tokyo Game Show related announcements. So, like I stated at the top, uh, a lot of this is new details, new trailers, and a lot of just like straight up, you know, good you know, sometimes 30 plus minutes of just gameplay footage. And one of the games that we were anticipating highly that we got a lot, a big look in is of course the aforementioned Final Fantasy VII Rebirth. So I guess we'll just talk about that next. So this is a game that uh, James was able to go hands-on with Rebirth. And James actually has a lot of features up on the site for games that he was able to go hands-on with. So we might not touch all of them this week because instead of just pointing you to the URL and just say, hey, read his thoughts, well, next time we get them on, we'll see... Uh, Kind of like what what were his highlights of just the obviously just the trip in general and and then of course the which games he you know stuck with him as he returns back to the states uh but for final fantasy 7 rebirth uh james was able to go hands-on uh alex also put up a feature a listicle up on the site about seven things that he observed in the footage that are new to rebirth that weren't in remake and then of course we have uh the stream footage itself you can find it on youtube uh for from Square Enix's official site, just the the Grasslands gameplay of everything that how this game plays in a moment to moment setting, and um, there's a lot of things to talk about here. Like the the gameplay showed uh, just you know the, the how the size of the map, the sorts of icons, the crafting system, fast travel, obviously combat for Red Thirteen. Um, we we know from the trailer that of course uh, Ketchi is also playable, but as far as I can tell, he's not playable in the demo here uh, or in any of the stream footage from Tokyo Game Show. Uh, I believe on your outfit uh, outlet confirmed that it's GameSpot or Game Informer. Like they they did confirm that Vincent is not playable. Uh, in right. I, I remember. Do I remember? I did see that headline. Uh, they talk about some of the mini games. Uh, there's like a card game. I believe it's called Queen's Blood. So obviously, whenever you have a card game, it's like you know Final Fantasy has both hit and missed on that front before. So that's kind of interesting to see how how much that'll uh, come into play. There's a there's a whole. This is something that I'm not sure about. There, there was a pretty decent amount of time spent on a piano playing mini game, which to <laughs> me is kind of interesting because there is a small little story nugget in Final Fantasy VII about Tifa's piano. So I guess they're just saying like it's a mini game now. So like I don't know if they're just going to expand on that like to a ludicrous extent, but maybe it'll turn out pretty fun. So we'll, we'll see. You also, about you that. also get new, like it's also a way to like get new like uh, arrangements of like themes. Like they, they played Aerith's theme on like the stage mm -hmm. to, during the piano mini game. That was that was nice, but it, it looks like something I'm gonna struggle with because the that control scheme is uh I, I'm not good at mini games like that. I, I think I think that the big takeaway though, like from all the previews and all, and the stage demonstration they did is like. It's it feels very like the like the uh, like the menu screen for the map is like it's like huge. I'm like holy shit, that's mm -hmm. a that's a pretty sizable map. And Chadley, you hop out Chadley uh, in this uh, installment. He's back, um, um, and uh, a lot of it is going to be exploration based. So like you're opening up parts of that. Uh, like it's almost U Ubisoft Tower style. It is. <laughs> I, I, in my little notes, I actually wrote yeah. in parentheses uh, towers. So Chadley mm -hmm. is the is the young Shinra like employee in the first game who basically mans the battle simulator but now he's like got a new 
I don't know, motivation, lease on life. And he's like, I want to make a new map. I want, I want to document the world. So basically you go to towers and they, you reveal like locations of interest nearby and mm -hmm. somehow you feed that back into Chadley and he still offers you materia for it. So it's like the same sort of transaction there, but in a new environment of like an open world-ish game, or at least like a wide linear game. Uh, part of me is like, when I look at that, it's just like, I don't want to say like a linear game is a fake game and a open world game is a real game, but it's just it's just a different flavor where in remake it's basically completely linear except that they just decided hey in chapter three and chapter what nine in these two chapters and i think one at the end of the game 14 in these three chapters we'll give you side objectives for the rest of the game right. it's pretty much we'll pull you on a string to the finish line and that's the game right where in rebirth it's like here you go. You can go to, I don't know if you can go everywhere, but it's like, here's a giant map. You can explore to your heart's content. Even if you go to town, you will find a notice board and there will be sub objectives that will also go to your map. So you can go ahead and do this. And this might, and I, this is something that is a little bit under the radar, but like in, in remake up until the very end of the game, like the very final battle simulator, you had no say in what your party comp was. It was just who was present at the time because they, yeah. they, uh, it's a part of the game, the original story, where you never had more than three party members. Um, and now it's like, here's how you change party members in Final Fantasy VII Rebirth. It's like, oh yeah, I guess you never really had to worry about that outside of the battle simulator. Like, like one of the big like, new features, like in Rebirth, oddly enough, is like you can choose like who you run around with. While in re mm -hmm. uh, remake, you, know, you were always locked the cloud, you know. Mm -hmm. And that was like that was, that was always like a weird like transition outside of battle, and you're like pl playing anyone else, and then you go back to cloud. When the battle ends, it's like, oh, okay, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. The one part of the game where you play, or like, I guess a couple parts of the game where you play as Barrett or Tifa, and it's like, oh, I guess you can do this. And I was like, oh, it's just part of the game now. Do you remember yeah. the last boss fight in FSM Remake where you don't even have control of who your final party member is? And it's through like some two system where, depending on the choice you make, it's like who your final party member is. Oh, yeah, because yeah, yeah, yeah. someone, will, someone will jump in to help you, and it's like, it seems random. Now, there is, like, logic behind it, like how you manipulate who it is, but it's it's not something you just explicitly tell the game, I want my final party to be Cloud Barrett and whoever. Um, but, yeah, and there's a crafting system, which, you know, it never is not exciting on its own, but, you know, you always want to try to make your open world game have, like, meaningful, like, itemization. You know, something that Final Fantasy XVI wasn't really able to do. So it's curious to see, like, if you can craft new weapons or gear, or like what's the incentive to go out and kill stuff other than just EXP? Yeah, I, th I think the big thing here that they want to really focus on, especially like when it comes to like combat and gameplay, is like uh, this became an accident in Remake, right? Where like in Remake, it seemed like, uh, like the quote unquote optimal gameplay to minimize aggro is to switch between party members. So you mm -hmm. can almost confuse the enemy AI and who to target. While in this one, it's more of a central, like more fully fleshed out system because of the, the synergy system. Where they're explaining like you wanna since the synergy system is like a, a separate system from like the ATB bar, um, you fill these up like separately from ca character to character. So you wanna fill them up with like two characters and then unleash a synergy um, ability together. And so you so it, it you're trying to encourage like actual multiple character gameplay sort of like confusing the enemy AI is like make it more of an integral part of the system. Where like in remake you could technically get by by just playing Cloud alone, you know. And you'd be fine. Yeah. There is a system. Uh, this is taught. This is brought up in Alex's feature that w there's a. W I don't know if it's like a new materia or an option within the materia system that you can have your party members auto cast certain things, so they won't just sit on their ATB gauges forever. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, so there's a little bit more like you don't have to switch constantly. There, it looks like they're trying to focus that a bit and try to say like 
this this is something you can still do. You know, it's still viable, but it's not like necessary in terms of like if you want to just play as Tifa because you like really comboing with her, you can set your party members to do some more things automatically and focus on the character you want to play as. Mm -hmm. Um, it's also some little funny details of like how fast travel works. It's like you set you can set up new fast travel points by like going to like chocobo posts, like almost like kind of almost like stops in the out of the open world and you put up a post and then and then have like a, almost like a bus stop rather and yeah. um and, and then like uh, the animation for it is like cloud like pulling out like, yeah, a cushion and then and then putting it because it's a dirty bench and then sitting on it and then it'll warp you to wherever you wanted to uh, want it to go it's like it's a bit, it's a very smooth animation too you don't see any loading screens uh, it's the same animation me. as like the the benches and remake but you just yeah. without like without any preamble or any like flare he just grabs a cushion throws it on the bench and just sits down and then yep. when he stands up after time passes he puts it away it's just like oh i guess he, you know doesn't want to get dirt on his on his backside so there you go i, I also yeah. like that you're like you're picking up this little sign that has like a chocobo travel rest yeah. stop, like logo on it reminded me of those uh signs in tears of the kingdom with the uh, right right the president hudson I, yeah the hudson signs it's like oh i gotta pick up the chocobo signs uh, so yes. that's, that's kind of fun. Like I, I like fast travel that gives like um, some flavor to it rather than just like, oh, now you've been to Calm, you can fast travel there. Uh, yeah. It's, it's a little bit more diegetic that way. It, it, it is like one of those like moments, like if you played the original FF7, it's like, wow, how far technology has come and how far gaming has come. Because this is like, like bring you, when they introduce open world, it's like, it's definitely in your mind's eye when you're playing the original FF7, you exited Midgard to the overworld map. It's like, I wonder what this would look like, what, what this actually looks like if you're like just traveling around it and not just an overworld map from like town to town. You know, now you're actually on the ground, on foot, exploring the world and like how it is. You see all like the, the little details of like how the world of FF7 is actually brought to life instead of just like being from an overworld map. It's like, it's like, to me, that's like, it's a crazy moment. It's like, oh wow, this is how they envisioned it, you know? Just, well, I know, I some, know some people. I remember when Final Fantasy X first came out, the loss of the world map is again showing our age. People were like uh -huh. that was a hard pill to swallow for people. Yeah. And people say, well, actually, on the world map, it was pretty much just like nothing happened there. It was pretty much just like the the actual intended route was pretty linear anyway, which that was more true in some cases than others. But now they're saying like, nope, like the world map is actually like we're gonna fill it with things to do. And, you know, obviously from a little demo, it's hard to know how well they've done that, but they've shown off a lot in terms of you will be distracted on your way from Midgar to Junon or to Calm. So they've they've packed a lot. And it's just this kind of goes without saying, but it looks really beautiful. It looks really nice and really fluid and the combat looks as fun as ever. So the, the preview is just really fun to watch, uh, like the, the big stream footage that they had. Yeah, the, you know, the, the, there's been a lot of like footage out there, not just like you know from the TGS uh, stage show from out, other outlets uh, as well. So like some people have taken like footage of like the, the the chocobo armor that you can dress up chocobos with, and all that stuff like that. It's just it just seems like a lot of like fun shit packed in, and it's like it like it was almost like a sandbox almost of like just things to do. Obviously, you can go through the main plot and more things will open up and through time, I imagine. But just it's just seeing things like come together in a really nice. Uh, organic way kind of just it, it's it, to me it's just like kind of putting <laughs> not to not to put down like remake because i i enjoyed my time it's like it's like putting more gameplay into the game <laughs> you know for yeah me. no yeah it's yeah kind of the game shuts up unless you play a bit I'm like okay i yeah. can go to calm or i can just 
mess around with a battle system for 15 hours or I don't know how long for several hours. And like, that's the one thing about remake is that you can't really control the pace much at all. You either go as fast as the story wants, or you can slow down and just say, all right, I got six quests in chapter seven, I guess, or in sector seven, I guess I better do these now. But yeah, uh, obviously Rebirth is only a few months away. It's not that long. It's the big release of next uh, early of Q1 next year. And I think it was looking really, really good. I'm really excited for this one. Yeah, yeah, same here. Uh, also, I guess while we're on the topic of um, Square Enix, in the Xbox TGS showing, they did announce something that I don't know if we expected, but it's like, oh, finally they're doing this. And that is, is that Octopath Traveler 2, which we've talked in the past, kind of awkwardly skipped Xbox when the first game did launch on Xbox, is coming to Xbox. So Octopath Traveler 2 will hit Xbox Series and uh, the Microsoft Windows Store uh, in early 2024. So um, I'm not sure how big of an Xbox-only audience Octopath Traveler 2 has, but it is a really good game, one of the best of the year, and it's if you were waiting for this, I hope it gets well supported. Well, I yeah. think the big advantage is the Game Pass advantage here. Now, that's so. true. We yeah. don't we, we don't know if it's coming to Game Pass. That is the one thing. It, we mm -hmm. we know it's coming to Xbox Series X, uh, S, Xbox One, and Windows via the Microsoft Store. But they did not mention Game Pass at all for it. So that's mm -hmm. uh, that's the thing. So I imagine it'll show up in Game Pass eventually if it does come out there right away. But that's just a distinguishing factor. Mm -hmm. Some other trailers for some previously announced games. We got another big look in for another February release next year, Persona 3 Reload. Uh, an English trailer for that. They're calling it Trailer 3. It's the trailer that focuses on the Strega group. And it shows, of course, a few other events alongside that. So uh, this both English and Japanese versions of the trailer. So, of course, one of the big things for this game is that a lot of the English, pretty much all the English cast has been um, re- recasted so big look in there especially for the new characters and just a, a little tiny bits of footage about how the new tartarus dungeon works uh it's not it's not it's a little bit more bespoke like persona 5 now and not the uh procedurally generated like the original persona 3 was yeah i mean it, it, it is it's still procedurally generated it's more pretty the, the oh okay the, still, yeah there's like you're just like you're, like the tile sets are like more fully fleshed out but it's still procedurally generated and oh okay the, thanks for the correction yeah yeah. Um. Uh, the, but you know, PV three uh, also shows uh, that the like the events from Fest with Elizabeth, that social link, that the, the those events with Elizabeth are coming back in uh, Reload, which is for for some people really the highlight of Persona three for them because the 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 social link with Elizabeth it has a lot of fun events. Uh, it's just it's very goofy. Uh, just interacting with Elizabeth. Um, in in a separate like press release, like press blast. Uh, they kind of go over more like the side story system, if I'm correct, Adam. You you put that up. Uh, the Strega group has more events to describe mm. or to like show who they are. So yeah, like, I think in the original um, story they weren't too fleshed out, so it's more like given the opportunity to develop them. Yeah, we we mentioned in a previous podcast that there's apparently going to be more events with the male characters because since they didn't have social links originally. They always kind of felt short shortchanged. So like, okay, give the male characters more events. And I guess they're doing a similar thing with the Strega characters. Cause, you know, in that game, once you kind of like learn who the real enemy is, they kind of just you know, their 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 role just sort of ends and like, oh, that's it. Okay. Yeah. Um, so that's interesting. 
mm-hmm. you know, hopefully it's good, not doesn't feel like, I don't know, fan fiction or something, but. <laughs> Atlas has never done that with a re-release. We got to redeem Strago, no. okay? One thing that's also kind of mildly interesting, and as far as English voice cast goes, uh, Elizabeth has the same voice. It's terrifying. Oh, yeah, Ted Platt. Yeah, I just yeah, noticed that. Right, I just which, I was pulling is, over it. Yeah, which is kind of interesting because that's like the only character out of all the characters, playable, Strega, anyone that has like reprising the role. And it's like, is it because Elizabeth is some sort of like demigod, whatever <laughs> they are? So I don't know. I mean, obviously in Japan, all the voices are the same. That's not even a, a thing. But I don't know. For some reason, they decided, hey, Tara, you can come back. You can't do Mitsuru again, but you can do Elizabeth still. <laughs> like, okay, sure. It's interesting. I like Tara. So yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, the, the Elizabeth's English voice has always been really, really good. So, you know, uh, no complaints here. A follow-up to one of our headlines from last week, and that is the official announcement of the next mainline Saga game, Saga Emerald Beyond. Of course, at uh, Tokyo Game Show, they gave us a new, basically kind of, I know it's not the first look, but a first look trailer at Emerald Beyond. It, the the five playable protagonists, well, I guess technically six, one's a duo. Uh, and then a big look at the battle system. They have some like un- like some animations in this game that look really like I don't know if we had anything quite like this in um, Scarlet Grace, like full full motion um, mocap animations. And I don't know if that's just the battle system getting like a a new coat of paint or what. One thing they don't show a lot of here in this announcement trailer is like the overworld gameplay, which I was actually kind of curious about because that's the thing they talked about the like. The, the emerald lines of of fate or yeah, whatever they kind of they, they kind of describe it at the stage of at the saga stage of it about the the yeah I forgot I think it was called emerald vision they they called it so mm-hmm. and and the the as we kind of surmise these are kind of like almost like recommendations of like events of like the, like if you go down this emerald vision like there will be like an event waiting for you there but yeah, mm-hmm. obviously it's up, it's up to the player whether they want to embark on that or go their own way but it, it, like it's um you know it, it is pretty close to what we were thinking when we first saw the 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 lines um they were just detailing the characters at the stage event they were also um saying that even even though it's built on the foundation of scarlet grace they keep telling saying there's like a completely new battle system so even though it looks somewhat similar to scarlet grace they get like kawazu is pretty insistent that it, it is a new battle system so we'll see how that um plays out uh I wonder well, part of me is like i just to be like yeah you know it's yeah. not the same game again yeah, I, game, I, no, I have no idea because <laughs> you know it, it looks pretty similar to Scarlet Grace. I don't know what else does it. Yeah, it, um, it looks like the Scarlet Grace battle system with a few, you know, new twists. But the yeah. thing is, I think that's what we wanted. Like, no, please tell me right, that exactly. it's built on. Yeah, like, yeah. it's just like sure, you can don't add some more flair to it if you want. But it was good. Yeah, just, I hope it's rooted in the same thing because that was immaculate. <laughs> yeah, so we'll, we'll see. Um, and yeah, and then they're just they're, they they describe the typical saga things were like kind of. No two playthroughs are the same. Even if you make the same character, depending on the route we do, well, they, things will be different. Um, mm. Yada yada, your typical saga stuff. Yeah, this one is uh, also for 2024. I'm guessing summer. I don't know if they've uh, dialed in any more specific. They just say to be a, TBA 2024, but obviously one that a lot of us here are really excited about. And uh, the trailer is fun. So go ahead and give that one a look. Yeah, I, I actually let me go pull up. There's like a recent uh, uh, interview with Famitsu uh, that they uh, they did a interview about Saga, and then they stated uh, stated like development on this title started in 2017. 
um, and then Which obviously slid during uh, Corona. Um, but the and then the, the here's the thing that people need to know is that Scarlet Grace had a shit fuck ton of like recruitable playable character uh, characters in that game. There's like like eighty something I think six or more than eighty. And in this game, it's like it'll be lower than Scarlet Grace, but that doesn't mean that like there'll be like still a f- only a few. Like there's gonna be fewer playable than Scarlet Grace, but that means that there'll still be a lot. Um, and then there's gonna be more variety in like the races uh, that you can play as in this game. Um, at some point in the interview, uh, they're like 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 they I think Kawazu mentions like yeah you can like recruit like a playable uh, white blood cell. It's like the fuck does that mean, Kawazu? Wait, what? Then, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I, I, th- I think it's like more like a like it, it represented the game as like a slime almost, but I have no idea. And then I watch too much of was it Blood at Work or whatever that was called. Yeah, and then Cell Network. Um, and then the uh another interesting uh thing they mentioned is that um. Unlike Scarlet Race, each playthrough in the game uh, will be shorter, more like how it was in Saga Frontier 1. And then uh, they gave a quote from uh, Kowazu. Uh, they translated, uh, obviously, this translation on uh, a Reddit post was, uh, any of the games uh, these days are really long, and I find myself uh, thinking, it looks like it's going to take uh, uh, me about two months to complete the game. But in the past, I was like, I'm going to clear, uh, I'm going to be able to clear it in three days uh, this weekend. So I wanted to recreate that feeling, so I kept each play uh, compact. However, the total volume will be huge. So playtime varies considerably depending on the main character. Some main characters will be longer, uh, will have a longer playtime. Um, so, th- you know, it- it's still going to have a lot of content in it, but I think that they're trying to uh, make an average playthrough more contact and but more substance, like uh, more, you know, eventful, I guess, is... Uh, the, the key my takeaway is my takeaway is probably just like Sega Frontier. I mean, each playthrough for a character is like ten hours, and you know, there's six playable. Is it six or is it five? Because one is a pair. So. It's a five. It's five routes here. Six, six characters, five routes here because there's a duo route. And so didn't he also say there was multiple endings with some of the routes too? So probably, yeah. I, I think. So. That, uh, so that'd so. be like <laughs> that. That would be pretty long game still, you know. Yeah, <laughs> I imagine this will still be a long game, but I think they're they're trying to reel in like the total play time per playthrough, play like Saga Frontier did. So we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, I'm really hyped for this game, man. Oh I yeah. Another game that we got a new trailer for just soon after learning its new release date. Um, we talked about Aiden Chronicle 100 Heroes is launching on April 23rd, 2024. That was announced uh, last week. But we got another look in at the Tokyo Game Show focusing on the the 100 heroes, the playable characters. Uh, I guess one thing, Adam, is that is this the first time they've explicitly stated that this third person on the box art is a main character? You've got... Um... Uh, I said this last week. Um, okay. So Marissa was always a character. And in fact, she was already a little bit special compared to the rest of the hundred because she had a, she was going to have a special DLC, right? But if you compare basically the key art from you know last year to this year, she was added to it alongside Noah and Rain or Sane or whatever his name is. Um, so like like I said, I said this last week, she seems to have been elevated to a, to being a main character. Like yeah, and then explicitly it. in this trailer, they say three heroes bound by destiny. So it's basically like, right. oh, yep. 
complete like and i think i also said last mm-hmm. week that like there wasn't an iudin chronicle trailer it was more just the nintendo direct, direct style of you know narrator saying this game is coming out next year or whatever so now yeah. this is the actual like trailer yeah and uh, and this trailer had you know the, they showed off the theme song for the game the flags of brave by sarah elaine um the, they also showed off the english dub cast uh for the uh, first time in the english trailer the Tokyo and it's a lot of, it's a lot of new names which i or at least names i'm not as familiar with which is always good mm-hmm. just to see like uh, and it sounds it sounds fine to me it's hard to, it's hard to judge in a trailer where they just kind of cut voice clips out of context and things yeah. like that it never lands quite right but it sounds pretty pretty good names that i don't quite yeah. recognize i'm excited to get to know these people they they they, they really like even though the game isn't fully voiced uh, they they emphasize that they gave a voice to uh, uh, at least a voice to each hero so like there'll be at least a voice line for out of each hero if not multiple so that means this is the, this game is dual audio there, there's over 100 voice actors involved in both the english and japanese cast for this game which is crazy to me. Yeah. I was like, "Holy shit, that's that's a lot." Um, but the, uh, as for the stage event that they showed at uh, five oh, I think it was five oh five games. They showed this, um, where the like, if you remember, like the duel scene between Noah and Sane from like last year on the on the bridge during like almost like they're, they're uh, on sunset. Um, during this like duel, there's like certain commands that uh, a player can do, like an option, and depending on what option they choose for uh, uh, during the duel. That that duel can take place uh, elsewhere, um, like uh, in different locations. For example, in the gameplay clip, like uh, after Noah and Sane trade some blows, uh, Noah jumps uh, off the bridge onto a field, and then so the duel now play- takes place on that field because Sane chases after Noah during that duel. And then they said, they're, they, like, if you freak the different option, it might have ended up in a different location. So kind of switching up uh, how. Uh, making duels like you know more more exciting uh, to look at, and I think one of the, one of the weird bizarre things that caught my attention was they showed off one of the mini games uh, in Aiden Chronicle Hundred Heroes uh, is the stage play mini game, and for example, they showed off a stage play of Cinderella, and depending on how many characters you recruited and which characters you recruited at that time, they'll show up in the in that stage play. Uh, and there, and it's all fully voiced during that mini game, so you could have different um, ev- like versions of Cinderella played out depending on like uh, when you decide to I guess engage with this mini game, depending on like your roster of characters. And they also mentioned this is not only the stage Cinderella isn't only the stage play uh, in the, in the game; it won't be the only stage play. So it's like it's a, it's kind of like a weird like going going the extra mile for this like one of these mini games as well it's like it's like oh how many different versions of like a stage play there could be depending on like if it's like a, like switching up depending on like what your roster size and specific roster characters are because they have different like lines voice lines uh in in that cinderella mini game which is kind of like a weird fascinating thing to think about it's like it, it's almost like it's almost recklessly ambitious i guess depending on how far they went with it right one thing that I've really kind of noticed on this trailer, and I think like this is the most like just pure gameplay that we've seen from the game in a while, at least to my memory, but I haven't been like hawking the Kickstarter page or things like that, is I almost get a little bit of like um 
maybe like 10 years ago falcon vibes where you have like these big 3d animated beast models or boss models being fought with your party being like these detailed sprites Mm -hmm. and it's like this mix of 2d and 3d that i actually think kind of works out pretty well in this style with the with the the way that the camera is like pulled back and like a little bit isometric from the bat from the for the battle system having the thing on the other end be uh, like a 3d giant horned dragon thing i actually think it looks pretty damn neat so i i uh, wonder i don't know like i don't know if they um because uh building off of your uh point because like during during this parts of this uh trailer there's like the they showcase like the 3d field and virus like a siege going on mm-hmm. like with these like uh siege equipment and like mm-hmm. it, i i can't remember if like one of like the kickstarter things they mentioned when they announced this game is like are they gonna have like sort of like that war mode like that that was in Suikoden. Do you remember Adam what I'm talking about? Yeah. That's like okay. All every Suikoden game or at least most of them had yeah. some sort of like war mode. Yeah. And I was wondering like do they have a war mode in uh, 100 heroes that they were pitching during the Kickstarter? I don't remember. I also remember in the English version of Suikoden 2 at least. This is one of those things like when you're playing it like without knowing, you're like, "Huh, that's strange. There's no music in the <laughs> war mode." And then you realize that was a localization bug. There is oh, music. It yeah, just yeah. wasn't in the, ever in the Western version. Like, oh, okay. Anyways, that that's one of those fun little things. <laughs> so yeah, that they they kind of showed off bits of that, but I don't know if there's actually like a dedicated war mode or not in this game. But it reminded me of that. I'm pretty excited for this one. And so far, April is not as crowded as the uh sense. Adam, you started. You, Adam, you started putting together like a 2024 list, right? Because yep. we're, we're starting to get a lot of dates now in terms of next year, especially in the first half. Is April still safe, Adam? Uh, right now, this is the only date for April. All right, the only and nothing game else will be ever. Yep. <laughs> yeah, nothing else will release in April. Yeah, for sure. We're not getting ahead of ourselves. <laughs> Ryan Quest HD guys. Yep, I'm sure. Oh yeah, we still haven't seen that. I guess this would have been where we might have expected to see that pop up, and it didn't. Dragon Quest. Probably, yeah. Probably they 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 really want to uh, promote Adventure of Die uh, as their main Dragon Quest thing right now. I I don't think mm-hmm. we're gonna see that until their next dedicated Dragon Quest live stream event, whenever that happens, because they they stay those tend to pop up whenever Square Enix decides to they should do it. I think I think the last one was in December, so we'll see. Yeah. We got uh, more footage for the upcoming Dragon's Dogma 2, including like a gameplay deep dive narrated by Hideaki Asuno. Uh, and a lot of this is basically, it's more useful if you haven't played Dragon's Dogma 1, because it's about like, here are the starting class, here's how pawns work. But it does kind of show what they're really trying to hit in terms of having the world be like reactive in terms mm-hmm. of not only like day-night things, but talking about like it, the game has this... Uh, the the gameplay footage, I guess, just to try to tee it up, covers everything from combat to progression to the pawn system to the classes that you play as, but also like little things like uh, you can ride carts from place to place, and you can either like wait out the travel trip or like clo- close your eyes to fast travel. Yep, yeah, that's funny. That that yeah. legitimately like made me chuckle because like they they it's like an admission that like even they found it slow in the first one because you have like a handful of those in the first segments in the first one. It's like, yep. It's still going. That cart is still going. Yeah. If you want to move that out. Yeah. Your cart can be like attacked mid run. So I'm imagining like, I hope it happens either whether you're sleeping or not. So like 
you close your eyes, then you just get like woken the fuck up because like, oh shit, we're under attack. Or you're <laughs> riding it and you're like just being immersive and letting it play out in the background. And then all of a sudden on the horizon, you see like an ogre like climbing over a cliff coming to attack you. I probably want to, I like for, for me, I would probably let it play out because I'm that sort of like sicko in Dragon's Dogma where I like seeing how the mm -hmm. world sort of, you know, kind of comes alive around you. Um, Dragon's Dogma One thing that they showed in the, in the gameplay footage that to me, I'm not sure how they did it. Like, that's got to be something that's just pre-baked in, right? Is that they push, like, a troll towards the end of a cliff. And I'm thinking, oh, they're going to push him off. Hell yeah. But then the troll, like, falls backwards and ends up, like, bridging the gap between two ledges. Like, he's like... Yeah, that was so cool. And then, like, the I think it's when they're showing thief footage. And the thief, like, runs over the troll, like, to the other side. I think it's when it's a thief. So, like, he gets to the other ledge because he crawls over the troll's body to it and I'm like that's got to be just like something pre-baked right um but it's hard I, to but say it's hard to say yeah <laughs> yeah uh, and they, they should the the variety of monsters are really cool like even just like uh there's they show a few times i think when they're showing the magic archer footage just like a very vanilla and i say vanilla but i don't mean it with negative connotation like a very classic griffin got like the, the eagle head and the white feathers and like the four claws and it just looks like big and majestic and they, they also have like chimeras and like a lot of these were present in the first game but now you know this is 15 years you know of a visual touch-up and it just looks like really like neat like hell yeah i, I wanted to see like a, a cool rendition of a very classic griffin and what it looks like it, here it looks very weighty you know like it, it yeah. like the, the quality animation work and like the feeling of weight as you're traveling around they i feel like they really nailed that uh upon first glance like wow well, even in the it's even crazy. in the first game like i remember thinking the first game was a the was a game you know over 10 years ago now where it was like magic really felt like holy shit i'm summoning meteors or or, or yeah. a tornado or or lightning bolts and you don't and you don't take it for granted and that's yeah. still present here is the magic that they show but like some games they don't have that weight to them where you you might be fighting something that's ostensibly 20 feet tall but it doesn't feel like it because you can jump really high or or whatever or movement so fluid that everything else feels small but in this game it's like oh crap how am i going to get up there oh crap that griffin's flying above me how do i hit him uh, i hope i have like an archer on my team or, or a spellcaster i guess i guess for like a, a, an easy comparison it's like when you catch like faraga in a final fantasy game it's like yeah it's a, it's a, it looks cool it's like the big explosion but you know like at the end of the day you kind of just you, that that Faraga interacted with the enemy. It did a lot of like big damage, but like it's like it, to you, it's just like it's a fancier fire spell. While like if you're like to cast like a Faraga of equivalent in Dragon's Dogma, it would take you like thirty years to charge that Faraga spell up. But when it fired off, it fucking cleaned the house, and yeah. you just like and like everything around you is just fucking on fire. The enemies are just like burning up in ashes, and you're like, "Yup, I fucking casted a fire spell, all right." And it was <laughs> yep. great. And, uh, and yeah, the, like so, the, the particle effects on the spells look really nice. It's it's interesting because it's not like it's not the prettiest looking game in terms of technical fidelity, but I love the art direction. It's a little yeah. bit muted in terms of like it's not super vibrant. It's a little bit muted in terms of like the color hues, but it fits. I it's, I don't know a way to describe it. It really feels like going for that classic fantasy epic look. Like the and, like, and it's, in, uh, it's in line with the first game, so it's nothing like, surprising. Like the, like when, like um when they're showing footage of this game and they show off like the the weightiness of like getting around like I I'm reminded of how impressed I was when they I, I don't I don't know if people remember this this will always be something I'll always remember but the very first time they showed off White Knight Chronicles on PS3 like the very first footage 
like I was super impressed by the character animations of like getting around the and the the, the weighty animations of how you interacted with stuff in that game and especially when during that initial gameplay footage when you could have your character like pin down an enemy like uh straddle their shoulders up against yours to uh, uh, create an opening for your party member like i get that sort of sensation that i uh, uh with this dragon's dogma 2 footage obviously that initial white knight chronicles footage never translated into the full game there was like a lot of uh alterations to the the way that combat was presented in that game that really did, didn't capture that magic and i've been sort of looking for that magic again in a video game or like the the animations the animation work impresses me so much that like i'm willing to believe it i'm willing to believe that like this is how exactly how kind of the slow meticulous combat is where it might be like even though it's not the most flashiest thing every movement and positioning and impact matters and and, and that's just conveyed visually and through sound design which really... I don't know why, but it, it always kind of it's amusing to me that like who developed White Knight Chronicles? Oh yeah, level five. Level five. <laughs> nope. Yeah, what are they up to? <laughs> and yeah, so I, I forgot. Uh, Bright is Mystic Spearhand a new vocation in this game? I'm trying to remember. I I remember Mystic Swordsman. I believe was an old vocation. I, me- I remember Mystic Archer. Swordsman. I believe I remember Magic Archer. I don't remember yeah. the Spearhand. Yeah, to to me, I was like, I think Mystic Spearhand is a new vocation. And uh, Dragon's Dogma too, and that looked really cool. The the brief gameplay footage that they showed off, and 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 as James mentioned in his preview, it's like um, it, it's building off of like the original in a really really great way, kind of realizing the potential of the original, but also like all the new features uh, uh, that are in Dragon, like most of that those new features, Capcom is still holding close to their chest. Like there's still a lot that we don't know about this game uh, under the hood. So it's just it, it's pretty much I think. This initial um, press blast for Dragon's Dogma 2 is to kind of get everyone else caught up to speed of like, what's Dragon's Dogma, pretty much. And that's a hard so thing to convey I, to people, <laughs> to, to be honest. I looked, I looked it up. Uh, so yeah, Magic Archer is returning. The other game had Mystic Knight. But one thing that's kind of that I forgot about is that this game clearly shows four starting professions. Uh, fighter, Archer, Thief, and Mage. And Dragon's Dogma 1... Thief and Archer were kind of together as Strider. And mm, then yeah. Ranger was an advanced class and Assassin was like a hybrid class. So basically what I'm saying is, is before you had three starting classes that could tear up or, or hybridize and now you have four. So basically I'm expecting to have a significant total number much higher than in the previous game. Yeah. Because now you can hybrid I, them, you know, multiple ways. So I'll, I want to see the how... magic thief, the magic assassin. Ooh. I don't know. Like... Well, I guess that would be like uh, like an arcane trickster, like in Pathfinder or D and D. Damn, I think I just figured out my Dragon Sogma class. <laughs> Whatever the magic thief is, that was gonna be me. Dang, yeah, I, I'm I'm kind of eyeing Mystic Spearhand already, but who knows? So they, they might they, they there's there's still so much we don't know. So uh, the the and there's also aside from James's preview, there's also some other outlets that have taken uh, recorded gameplay footage uh, on their own um, on their hands on with Dragon's Dogma Two at TGS. So yeah, I, I, like I remember, I was I, I skimmed the one for IGN and like a cool. Uh, obviously, Dragon's Dogma one had this too, but it's just nice to see like little small details uh, carry over from the first one. Like when you have a warrior pawn, when you go up to them, that warrior pawn could be trained to just go up to an enemy and throw it at another enemy. You know, <laughs> just pick that fucker up and then just throw it at another. So good to I'm see. It. For good this to one. see. 
Yes. I know, I know I've said that a few times, but damn, like 2023 oh. was a crap ton of games that we're still working our way through, and 2024 just doesn't look like it's letting up at all. Uh, still no release date for Dragon's Dogma 2. So yeah, I guess we don't know, know for yet. sure that this is 2024. Oh, I guess the only other thing I didn't mention was we already knew this based on just like the key art, but um, there is a like a clear second civilization, second kingdom of the Beast Ren, mm-hmm. uh, which is of course a, an option for your playable character as well. And they talk about how the um, the cities of the of the humankind. I don't, I don't, I don't, do they just call them humans? I forget what they actually call them. But yeah, the, the I, human, the human-looking people, and then the beast friend. And the beast friend, they say, is like a much older city, uh, and they show like footage of them walking through like the the city streets and the market stalls and things like that. And there's different quests in both, and kind of a big. It gives a idea of a much more expansive world in the first game, which had like Grand Soren and just like a few areas around it. So yeah, those that's also a key part of this game that we haven't quite seen how exactly how that comes into play yet. But they, but they, but they did show what we have seen in the gameplay footage from other outlets is you still consume stamina when you're running in, out in the field, not in combat. I'm sorry, they kept that. Well, well don't worry, <laughs> I'll find a hex editor, and, or, may, or maybe I'll trust that they balanced it better, and you don't just sit there and huff and puff every twenty seconds. I trust in the Itsuno mission. <laughs> yeah, I trust. I trust in Itsuno. Uh, we did get a new trailer also for the upcoming um, Dragon Quest Monsters The Dark Prince. This is the Dragon Quest Monsters 3 spinoff uh, coming out in December. It is not a spinoff. It is a mainline title over in Japan, Dragon Quest Monsters 3. Well, I meant like it's using a lot of the same characters from Dragon Quest Monsters 3, right? It's using... No, it... You go, Adam. Yeah, okay. Explain so it to it's, me. It's, the, it's the Dragon Quest Monsters subseries. This entry is set in the same world as Dragon Quest IV. Okay. Is that what we're getting at? So it's a spinoff of the main series. If you're getting technical, it's a mainline Dragon Quest Monsters game. Yes. There you go. And it's a prequel to four, or is it... Uh... It's like concurrent. Okay. I guess. It's weird. Okay. So I, th- I, th- I thought it was three, but I guess it's from four. Okay. Sorry about that. But yeah, that's coming well, out in December. Go ahead, Kyle. I was gonna say, well, there's there's a Dragon Quest news in Tokyo Game Show. Still nothing for twelve or that HD remastered that they show once. Well, I mean, it yeah, makes they're, sense because this this is the one coming out in a couple months. They were always gonna give a chance to like, hey, you know, support our game that's coming out in before the end of the year. So I think this is kind of expected that we'd see this. And then of course, they're like we talked about this last time, we do have the uh, the demo that's available. Um, that was announced last week, so you can get get a feel for getting your monster party getting ready for the full release. One of the ways they've been marketing this is they do uh they they did this both like with the I believe last week and then also alongside the press release here is kind of talking about the um memorable locations and characters that you also might recognize from uh Dragon Quest Four. So I haven't played this game, but uh, like he says, you will uh find settings such as Zenitha and Rose Hill and Diabolic Hall. Like, I don't know if these are these are locations in Dragon Quest yeah, 4. So yeah, the, the, it seems like if you've played Dragon Quest 4, you're going to get a lot of little like nostalgia look-ins and teases for, for this game, which is kind of fun. Uh, we got new... I don't, think we, I don't think I saw a trailer for this, but we got some just details and screenshots for the upcoming Persona 5 Tactica. 
And in addition to this, I do know that James was able to go hands-on with it. Uh, I didn't dive too deeply into this, what they showed here. But I don't know if anyone who's played, because like, I haven't even played Persona 5, if people have seen anything interesting on this Tactica, or if we're kind of at the point where it's launching in a little over a month, just wait for the launch. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's 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 kind of going through the motions of like just detailing more of the stuff that you can do in the game. It, but it's that's fairly, I don't know, stand, standard for a strategy RPG. You know, see mm-hmm. some t- tougher enemies. You can interact with the environment uh, in certain ways, and yeah. I mean, it's it's just around the corner, and I guess the big thing here is like, um, everyone can equip a sub persona. You know, it's not just tied to the main character. Like everyone right. has, uh, you know, a, a, an additional persona aside from their main persona. Let's see. I'm making sure I didn't skip anything. Oh, here's one I accidentally skipped. Uh, we did get a trailer for an upcoming new title called Megaton Musashi Wired. Which, as far as I'm aware, this is another one of those level five titles. Uh, so, you know, level five, level five's revival in this year into next year. It is a correct me if I'm wrong, Adam. This is kind of a remaster, re-release of Megaton Musashi, which released a few years ago only in Japan. But this one is global and it's cross-play and it's multi-platform. So it's kind of like trying to get Megaton Musashi to expose to a wider audience. And yeah. this is still slated for this year, as far as I know. So I mean, we that, don't that, have a that, date. That is that is the running theme of level five stuff. Is like they have a lot of releases, like Megaton Musashi, Deca Police, uh, Fa- Fantasy Life, and Inazuma Eleven. Yeah. Um, they they they're all still slated for twenty twenty three, and everyone's wondering. We're at the end of September. You're running out of twenty twenty three to release yeah. a fuck ton of games. Um, so. We don't know. If, I I have to assume they're gonna delay a good chunk of these, if not all of these, at this point. Um, you know. Um, but yeah, this uh, new trailer for Megaton Musashi Wired, uh, as you as you said, there's sort of like a, an enhanced re-release with some new content, like some new bosses. Um, but that was Japan only. Uh, aside from cross-play, there's also supports cross-save between PS5, PS4, Switch, and uh, Steam. Um. And yeah, and then the the new trailer basically gives you, you a summary of like the things that you're gonna do. Like mo- mostly, it's gonna be like um, you're customizing a robot, different parts, um, kind of giving it you know customizing like cu- custom colors, emblems, victory poses, and showing sort of like the action combat, action RPG combat. Um, and uh, unlike say something like Armored Core, like the online element is a, a lot more involved. I think I think there's some sort of like PVE. Uh, online element to this game as well uh, when you play with your friends, other people, um, and yeah, it's uh, it's it's coming to the West as well, and we don't we just don't know if it's going to be this year. They keep saying it's this year or beyond that. I really like, I really like the like the style of Bex in this game. They they they're a little bit more like chunky and not and not as sleek. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're they're kind of the, the the short and kind of kind of wide, but they're, they're kind of they're compact. Mm-hmm. They're stout. Mm-hmm. Yes. We did also get. We talked about the announcement of the newest Vanillaware title last week, Unicorn Overlord. Uh, I, I noticed whenever we tweet about this, it gets a lot of following, mainly just because I think the art is 
so good. <laughs> and speaking of that, we got a big batch of like character portraits, screenshot, and general artwork for this game, alongside some of the gameplay details as well. Because this is obviously um, Vanillaware has dipped their toes into like a visual novel with Aegis Rim, but now this is dipping their toes into like a strategy RPG. So uh, some not only the character portraits, but how the battle menus look, how kind of the isometric map screens look, uh, and a whole slow, sorry, a whole slew of screenshots um, just showing off what this game looks like. And it is a uh, surprise. Very pretty. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of just kind of giving you a detailed, like, you know, uh, uh, like a first look at like, Hey, here, here's the protagonist. Here's some of the companions that he has. Um, mm-hmm. And then, you know, kind of so, uh, the antagonist. And obviously just, I think about uh, aside from people just want waiting, waiting uh, impatiently for March 8th uh, for this to release. It's just like, you know, every screenshot they release, it's like, it's always just good to see new vanilla artwork, vanilla bear artwork, new vanilla bear anything, really. You're just in for I a think, treat visually every time. I think it shines the best in the battle gameplay. Like mm-hmm. the, the, the world map, everything's a little bit like shrunken and deformed in, in a deliberate way, but just because it's just supposed to be like representative of who the character is or who the class is. But then like when you have like the, the side portrait view of either the dialogue or the, or the, um, battle system. It just looks really, really pretty. Yeah, and I, there, there is some sort of like uh, option in between recruiting uh, characters because one screenshot has you uh, either g- giving the player the option to either recruit the character or executing the character. So I wonder right. if um, that'll affect anything else in the game aside from just like a challenge, a, a no recruitment challenge run. I wonder if there's like multiple endings <laughs> or something. Yeah. If there's an option to recruit a character, you kind of want to say like, how do you balance that? Hmm, new playable character or just be a dick? Like, so I wonder I, like just in general, like what they do to balance those options and make each each one equally like uh, viable. Yeah. Were you saying something, Chow? Oh, I was gonna say just do a solo run or <laughs> recruit Thunder Lone, Godson like in Final Fantasy Tactics. <laughs> <laughs> But did the wasn't there like an interview with the creator recently? I think they said the game is like about fifty hours long from their play. play oh, yeah, there's there, there's some sort of like interview, I believe, on probably in Famitsu. Um, I was I'm not too hundred percent sure over it, but Vanilla uh, Vanilla Bear uh, staff did mention that like it's a pretty lengthy game. Like, yeah. like I guess I'll just keep it at that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sounds pretty beefy to me. Hundred hours for a completionist completionist run. It's like. Hmm. You know, there's there's one thing I'm kind of wonder if they have. I'm not sure you guys have ever played the original Ogre Battle. Have you played the original Ogre Battle? I play I played the original Ogre Battle. Do you remember how hard to like get like the ultimate ending, like the world card at the end? Well, I, I, yeah, I remember it was super obtuse and very convoluted. Yeah, you had to like liberate the city and make sure that meter doesn't fall. You know, oh, yeah. okay. I hope they don't have some shit like that. Is that shit? Yeah, we'll awesome. see. Who knows? Yeah, you, you know, the vanilla vanilla bear is not. Uh, you know, they they do like there are multiple endings. Yeah, there's a lot of endings in Ogre Battle because there's all like <laughs> endings of the tarot cards, mm-hmm. basically. But yeah, I'm interested, man. I have to see how it goes. Ciao! I'm so happy that you mentioned tarot cards because. Why? Uh, they, we did during this last week get the announcement of three new, I believe all three of these are indie titles, or some of them might be like quote unquote double A. And you just told me or helped lead me to which one I was going to talk about first. So, Dongan Entertainment has announced a game called 
exit veil where it actually uh, inc incorporates using a tarot deck or a tarot deck. And like, so this was like announced with a preview trailer. And it seems like, I don't know if all versions of this game will actually have a physical deck or only some. And then like a base version will have like a digital analog. But in general, I just think that's like, that's kind of like the sort of thing these kickstarted projects that this game was a kickstarted project can do. That's kind of interesting. Is they're like going to have you do this thing? Like, what was that like PS2 digital game that actually had like a, like a, what's it called? Like Dominion or? It's PS3, 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 the Eye of Judgment. Oh, oh, yeah. oh that's what it was. I, 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 I had that. I, I had a PlayStation Eye and I had the card mat and, and the play, uh, uh, multiple Eye of Judgment decks. I was an Eye of Judgment. Uh, uh, a uh, champion. Yeah, <laughs> oh, what's, a, what's, a, what's, a, what's a good word for this? <laughs> what are you going to tell me next? Are you going to tell me you're an anti-meta gamer of Yu-Gi-Oh or something? No, I mean, I, I also played Yu-Gi-Oh too right here and there when I was younger, but... Oh, no, um, you don't understand the anti-meta meme. Well, I don't know the anti-meta meme, no. Um, but I of Judgment was a really, really cool concept. I mean, like, it, it didn't have to be the most interesting gameplay, but the novelty was so cool because... You would have the PlayStation Eye up on a stand, looking down at the at the mat, and when you uh, put down a card on the field, like a monster would, would materialize uh, on 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 your game screen. And so you had you'd have like a footage of like real time footage of like what what it's showing on the uh, what's in front of you, and then obviously on the screen the the monster will materialize as well on the screen. It was like it was some really cool tech at that time because it reminded you of like oh man. If you were a big fan of, like, say, like Yu-Gi-Oh, for example, and you wish like you'd see the monsters when you play them, it was it was basically fulfilling that dream. It was great. So you can't pledge anymore, but when the Kickstarter was live, it looks like the game itself was about twenty five dollars, and then getting a a tarot deck was about fifty dollars separate. So, and then I'm going to, and again, this is Dongan Entertainment's Exit Veil. The, the well, it's developers. developed by Cherry Mochi, Cherry. who did Tokyo mm -hmm. Dark, which I yes. believe Josh played. I did. Oh. It, was, it was a neat, it was a neat uh, horror game. Yeah, so, yeah, so I'm, I went to their official website and seeing if I could see anything about the deck and how it's incorporated. And there's a lot. They have a pretty large press kit, so uh, I won't probably dig through this too much. But just, the, just the concept is pretty fun. It looks very atmospheric. Uh, it's just a short little teaser. Um, for for the game, but it I just thought it was like an interesting concept, and Chow had mentioned a tarot deck, so I figured oh I'll, I'll use that to launch off into uh, one of three indie game projects that, that have been uh, announced over the last week. Another one that just caught a very very quick look in is a it looks like they're calling it a combat and exploration RPG, but it looks more like a blobber to me, like a first person dungeon crawler from Acquire called Scars of Mars. It looks like a cross like sci-fi horror, but a first person's perspe perspective on a grid. It kind of reminds me of like the, like the uh, like what a uh, Legend of Grimlock or uh, Grimlock, Grimrock, Grimrock, yeah, Grimrock, yeah, uh, things yeah. like that. It talks about it's procedurally generated. Um, but so the, the, so the thing, uh, the, yeah, the, you're gonna get to it. Go for it. No, go ahead. Okay, so like unlike Legend of Grimrock, you remember how Grimrock is like sort of turn based, um, right. where every time you move, the like enemies will move around you. This mm -hmm. one is kind of it, it sounds crazy they're, they're saying time is always flowing in this one where everything is happening in real time so you see that battle systems are done by through a three by three grid in this game but um it's you're not waiting for a turns or a turn order it's basically you're planning on the fly on like which characters you're taking control control of what they're doing and 
you know, since it's all, all, all in real time, uh, enemies are free to attack you when it's like, you know, when, the, when they're, when it's kind of, quote unquote, their turn to attack almost. Um, so uh, that's kind of the main thing about this game. They're, they're kind of also talking about that there will be some sort of like uh, class system where you can combine it with like different frames and weapons. And uh, it almost ha- sort of has like a rogue-like um, progression because they're talking about like how, you know, uh, when you uh, like talking about starting runs in this game. Mm. So, um, yeah. Uh, other than that, you know, uh, details on like the specifics are sort of sparse, but uh, there's some um, UI uh, and HUD system uh, sort of menus going on in the in the trailer that you can sort of glance at. So it it's, yeah, uh, it seems cool. The way, the, way, cool. the way they represent the grid at the bottom is pretty fun. Yeah, it, like it, it's pretty. Is, where the player is. It, it's very visually catching when they go to like the battles in this game, is because it's it's so there's so much going on. And it's kind of like almost sensory overload, and you're trying to make sense of what's going on, and that's kind of what catches your attention. It's like, wow, huh? To me, this so, seems yeah. like an Adam game. Oh. And Adam's like, okay. Oh. <laughs> and the last uh, indie game announcement of the last week, that at least that we caught here is uh, Gamera Games and DLU Studio, DLU Studio, have announced uh, Abyss Fantasia, which to me kind of looks like a cross between that Wildermyth game that Adam covered before, as well as uh, that uh, just the concept of Made in Abyss, which is a game, of course had the, the game adaptation that we talked about last year that Josh played. Uh, only this one doesn't have that art style, just the concept of traveling deeper and deeper into an abyss. The art style is more um, kind of like Western comic booky, uh, I guess is how I would describe it, um, or or almost like Western graphic novel um, with like comic panels and things like that. Uh, so this was just announced at Tokyo Game Show. It is slated to release in 2024. Again, the name of the title is Abyss Fantasia. Man, uh, I did not inspired. like hearing the name Fantasia. Sorry, it reminds me of this terrible Konami RPG I played in the PS2. Like called Imperial Fantasia or something. Oh my god! Brings back oh, that, 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 that's why that's why that word traumatizes you, Ness. Oh <laughs> man, you have never played an RPG that bad in my life. <laughs> okay, got to try. I mean, it, I'll just be honest. When I saw Abyss Fantasia, I'm like, Tales of Abyss, Tales of Fantasia. Okay, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> But it spells Anyways, with, by the way, they, by the way they specifically say they specifically say this was inspired by Maiden Abyss, at least the concept. Mm-hmm. So I, yeah, I didn't look too much into it. So I, I, now that you bring that up, maybe I should uh, check it out. I think I think it's inspired in so much as just like there's a big hole. <laughs> we need to cool. nice. There's not Falcom expired. <laughs> yeah, just like Ease Eight. <laughs> but okay, yeah. so at least before we close out the podcast, I at least wanted to make sure that we called out. Um, Exit Veil, Scars of Mars, and Abyss Fantasia. As uh, but also, uh, of... J- J- James also uh, checked out a pretty cool indie uh, called uh, Witch and Lilies. Uh, it is a Yuri Dungeon RPG, he called it. Uh, and uh, the, this uh, it has a pretty interesting uh, cast because the um, Makoto uh, Kedoin, I'm so sorry if I'm like pronouncing your uh, name incorrectly, but uh, the the one who was uh, responsible uh, responsible for like death and requests and corpse parties like scenario, uh, they're also working as scenario writer uh, for this. So he went to go check out this Witch in the Least title at TGS. 
that I wanted to call out because it's something like you know we didn't know anything about it and he just kind of went to it uh, blind and you know was very very impressed with what he um, played uh, from it and that's being ve- developed by uh, Stromato Soft and also published by them um, and it seems to be like a, a dungeon RPG uh, experience sort of uh, coming to PC sometime in next year so. Just wanted to give that a shout out for James because I know he's also been aside from like the big big titles uh, like Infinite Wealth and FF7 Rebirth. East Ten, even though we don't have anything. Yeah, yeah. Even though we don't have anything officially Western facing for East Ten, he did play it while over at Tokyo Game Show. Yeah, he's also Um, checking out some smaller things. And then uh, I'll I'll let him talk about this next week. uh, Or I, I don't know if he's back next week or the week after. But uh, he did put up, as we're talking about level five, he put up a preview for Deca Police, which is kind of like that cyberpunk um, ATB gauge, like turn-based RPG that they announced uh, earlier this year. And he has his, I'll just read, his title says it might be TGS game of the show. And then he was talking about in chat how he thought it was really, really surprising. And he he thought really highly of it. So I'm interested to hear him talk about Deca Police next week to see like, exactly what was um obviously we had the feature up on the site as well sorry if you hear my dog's collar behind me hey, doggy. uh <laughs> yeah, he, he'd be good he he's like you've been sitting here for three hours i want out <laughs> so, uh but uh so deck of police obviously uh one of those games that is still slated to come out this year like all the other level five things but uh james thought really highly of it i mean you're to pick his brain when he gets back uh about what yeah. he saw on deck of police so and I think that I know I've had a bad habit of accidentally skipping headlines. So I think it covers all the things. I mean, the th- the thing with Tokyo Game Show is they initially get a trailer and then you'll get like a, a stream or a panel that will re- replay the trailer alongside like dev commentary or additional footage. And then you get like other things alongside where you get the interviews in different publications. So I'm sure yeah, other like things. For will... example, for example, this is just a small thing. During the saga stream, Kenji Ito was talking about he's the composer, like all the different music he's composed for it. And it was just sort of amusing. I mean, it's not really surprising. He's like, uh, for the Magical Girl character, I had to watch and read a bunch of Magical Girl stuff to like know what sort of music I should make. You know, fun <laughs> stuff like that. Yeah. So. Well, I guess he's probably watching hours of Madoka, probably. <laughs> well, not only just that, there's a lot of other Magical Girl stuff out there beyond Madoka, you know? Uh, good on Ito for doing research on that. I mean, he, he's, a, he's a dedicated composer. He kind of, he gives it his all every time. The last uh, headline that I see here is something for this week. Uh, we're going to get a Sword Art Online Last Recollection demo. The uh, demo will be available. The yeah. demo will be available for uh, consoles. So PlayStation. Is this one? The, the the all star one the one with all the cast all one yeah the one? The, the, everyone's here uh mm-hmm. yeah the last recollection but yeah once again the demos are only for the PlayStation and Xbox platforms mm-hmm. no PC demo kind of kind of the norm but there there have been some cool people like Square Enix who still believes in PC demos mm-hmm. and Xseed also with Silent Hope. and that covers us for our first go through of everything that came out of Tokyo Game Show. Of course, we will likely revisit a lot of these as James returns and, you know, recounts his experience. But we've, we've made it through, I've, or I guess we still have a few weeks of September left. Or I guess when we when we next meet... Oh, that reminds me. I won't be here next week. Sorry, guys. So there will be, one, <laughs> so, more, there, there'll be one more podcast in September, but I won't nice. be here. Uh, Wait, so I, I, uh, 
I'll just have family in town, so I'll, I won't yeah, be going anywhere. But you say you gotta go to France or something. Oh nope, I wish. Uh, but yeah, so uh, one more week in September, we'll wrap back up uh, all the Tokyo Game Show announcements. Of course, we're going into, as Adam said earlier, a pretty busy October and November, and then at that point, we have to start thinking about Game of the Year, I guess. I'm like, oh boy. <laughs> so it's it's coming it's coming to a head pretty quickly. Uh, thank you all so much for listening. All the features that we talked about and even more that we didn't uh, are up on the site, including all of James's uh, previews and impressions for everything he's played at Tokyo Game Show. You can go to rpgsite.net and you can filter by by articles if you want to filter out all the news posts or, or, or guides. Um, you also do have all the news and all the trailers and all the release dates up on uh, rpgsite.net as well. Uh, Adam, when do you think you'll be uh, publishing the first version of that 2024 page? Just curious. Uh, maybe this weekend. All right. So yeah, keep an eye out for that. I don't uh, think we expect any more announcements really soon. I usually wait till after Tokyo Game Show because we usually get a handful of dates, and I, usually the next set of dates comes in like November. Right. Yeah. So, I, 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 like yeah, Game I, I Awards think... era, Jump Festa, that sort of uh, timing. So yeah, I think I think the only thing potentially because of the, uh, Tokyo Game Show wrapping up, like I, the only other things relevant to our sites, like, I think there's like a Sandland event. Yeah. Uh, so they might announce a release date for that, but that's about it. So you're saying we got all four months to clear our backlogs before all the big major releases come out? Okay. Our well, we're never gonna clear it, Chow. Well, okay, Chow. Ch- the problem with you is like you have to start a game that came out this year. You know, he did, and that's uh, well, okay. Beyond Star Rail, and I know Star it's a big ass job. <laughs> Didn't yeah. Octopath? Okay, okay. Oh, okay. okay he did. Oh, yeah, he did do I know. I know. I know. I don't always play the current releases on time, but you know, I, I also did Rune Factory Three Special. You know, it's okay. Uh, we're getting there. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. There. I forgot to, I forgot to say is that. This, uh, is this a remaster? Remaster. Yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> uh, Nathan did put up a Rune Factory Three Special review up on the site. So yeah, I, I still put up a hundred hours in, in, in Rune Factory Three Special. And and being serious, like uh, like Adam talked about Vampire as well, which is not a new game. So that's that's the hard thing is that every time you take the time to play something that people have good word of mouth or you're interested in, then you know you get even further behind on your backlog. That's all. I, I wish I could talk more about Arcturus. I, I think I would need like four hours to fully explain this whole game. Okay, well you all can right, go well. record your own podcast. <laughs> <laughs> An Arcturus spoiler cast, twenty years in the making, featuring Chow. <laughs> <laughs> I think people uh, will tune into that. I, I was gonna say, go watch the opening, guys. It's done by the same studio that did Aeon Flux. If anyone still remember that thing, random, very pretty. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we should wrap it up. All right, I'm sorry. Uh, I was looking at this Arcturus opening and getting distracted. Uh, you can find RPG site on all the social media networks. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. Uh, you can join our Discord by hitting the link at the top of the RPG site.net homepage uh, or going to RPG, uh, sorry, discord.gg slash RPG site. Uh, and we'll, we will be back next week with another episode of the TetraCast. Thanks I mean, for we will be back, not you, oh, next week. Uh, I will be there Let's in spirit. Getting over. Oh, so now I'm just now realizing, oh, I guess that means I have two weeks to get to Phantom Liberty. Hooray. <laughs> Maybe I'll finally start Starfield. Uh, so we'll be back next week. You will all be back next week. Um, thank you for sticking in there with this long podcast. You know, we had a lot of news to cover, but back to back, we got everything knocked out from the state of play. Nintendo Direct, Tokyo Game Show, RGG Direct, everything else. Um, 
If you have any feedback, please go ahead and give us a rating on whatever podcast service you listen to. Give us a comment on our post on the site page. We love reading those. Let us know what we're doing well, what we're doing poorly. And until you hear from us next time, stay safe and take care. And we will talk to you all later.